Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. So when will the media accept that President, duly elected President Donald J. Trump, is not a criminal target of the Mueller investigation? Amid his 51% approval rating, that just out, and of course um, the uh, the coup that is still ongoing. And of course we are looking at uh, Zuckerberg, uh, Facebook, of course. Facebook's no privacy whatsoever. You didn't expect it, did you? We were t- we were talking about this a, uh, a number of years ago about social networking and about email messages and privacy. Of course, you're listening to the Hagman Report. Today is Wednesday, April fourth, twenty eighteen. I want to welcome everyone to the show. Thank you so much. Please, if you're watching this via YouTube, for as long as we are able to ride the beast, um, just subscribe, and uh, uh, also on the Global Star. Radio Network, as well as Blog Talk Radio Network, PTR. Uh, follow us there as well to be notified, of course, of uh, new shows that come up, and, and it's a lot easier that way. And just simply bookmark HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com. And from there, you've got all of the listening and viewing options. We're audio only tonight, as we are doing some things here in the studio. So uh, eyes off, some ears on. Yeah. Uh, here's on. So, at any rate, a lot of news to get into for the first hour. This hour, this episode tonight, the first hour, we're going to be uh, talking about the uh, YouTube uh, YouTube shooting and, and, of course, how the uh, uh, the blowback from that and expect blowback from that, folks. I did my show on that this morning, at least the first half of it. I, I expect blowback from this in a way that uh, it's perhaps asymmetrical from what you might believe. And then at eight o'clock, we're going to be joined by Gretchen Smith, uh, Code of Vets. Dot com. That's codeofvets.com, talking about some veteran issues. 8 to 8.30, 8.30, Coach Dave Dobmeyer from uh, Coach Dave Live, of course, and then followed, closing up the show with Pastor David Langford. So a lot of stuff to get into, Joe. Yeah, there is. And, you know, just a, I'm sure everybody has seen by now the updates on the YouTube shooter. What we saw yesterday was that a woman entered the building and shot several people, injuring uh, four and shooting herself. The news attempted at first to say it was a a white man uh, with a NRA membership and you know he was angry at the company then once they found out it was a woman the coverage quickly turned to a uh, narrative of a lovers quarrel which they even identified one of they said that one of the news reports I'm not sure which one it was said that one of the victims it was the girlfriend of one of the victims who was shot then we they quickly learned. they quickly went backwards on that, saying no, it wasn't. Yeah, and then now we learn that this person uh, was angry at YouTube because of the uh, one. Uh, apparently, she spoke many languages and did videos in uh, up to five languages. She's very strange. She's from Iran. She's her family moved to, moved from Iran to the United States back in 1996, and she's Iranian. The police were notified. Uh, it was actually the talked a, to her before she. Yeah, she was, it was a missing there. person um, called in by her family. Her brother had attempted to warn the police that uh, she headed out for YouTube, and um, of course that you know you're getting into an issue there of, of pre-crime, right? It's it is what it is. Um, you can investigate, but I don't know. 
with any degree of authority whether the police ever investigated beyond just finding uh, a welfare check. Yeah. No. So apparently she was uh, sleeping in her car when they yeah. came upon upon her in a parking lot in the same area before this YouTube company is. But we learned that apparently she didn't even make it into the building. She went into the courtyard area. Right. And there were people outside, and she had a handgun, and she opened fire. And um, it, the social media outlets from Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, had all scrubbed her accounts by this morning. And Donald Trump Jr. asked the question if this was an uh, you know an NRA member or a right-wing uh, conspiracy theorist, would they have scrubbed those accounts so quickly? I guess that's or an NRA, uh, yeah. yeah, an NRA member, and and he addresses uh, that that actually addresses a, a larger problem. It's interesting because on PG Media, uh, Megan Fox headlines: sadistic YouTube deletes channels, demonetizes and censors content, and refuses to respond to press. Mm-hmm. Now, when you that was a good okay, article. yeah, yeah, and, and and okay, so what are we saying here, or what is being said by Megan Fox, the author here? And I think people need to pay attention to this because the Okay, you had, and I've talked about this many times, you've got the action and then the response to the action, and then, of course, the blowback, and it's kind of like a, a ping-pong game or a tennis match in some in some cases. Now you're going to see the blowback from this. Um, and Megan Fox gets into the example of a woman by the name of Mandy O'Brien, popular body language channel on YouTube with over 200,000 subscribers, funny, smart, provides good insight into human behavior. She seems to like Donald Trump. Her videos are not terribly political. Most of them center around breaking news stories and reading the unspoken communications given off interviewees on the news. And, and we've, we've done this in profile, in forensic profiling classes, where, I mean, you can attend forensic uh, interviewing classes, uh, read school for, to name one, where, um, you, you, you know, during an interview or an interrogation from a law enforcement or a investigative perspective, you're able to, Read people's body languages. Well, that's kind of what this channel was, in a sense, or at least I, yeah, I don't know her, her we've watched, certifications. Uh, we've even referenced uh, these videos in the past, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. But with people being interviewed after events like Las Vegas or uh, the one the one that she was censored for was Florida. What's interesting? Well, about she was, that, yeah, she she, she uh, commented uh, the Mandy uh, uh, in the case of Mandy O'Brien. She co- commented on the body language of of David Hogg, and, and that video was deleted by YouTube for bullying. Okay, and she was sticking up for the people in the video. They, yeah, she she, she was actually right. You're right. She was actually debunking uh, the mm-hmm. theory that a reporter was telling Hogg what to say. Yeah, so. she she did two videos though that got copyright strikes. One for sticking up for the David Hogg kid, and another one sticking up for the blonde haired girl who said that she was next to the shooter, and that she believed there could have been two shooters. But she was going on to say that they were children underdeveloped, and they when you're younger like that, when you're in teenage years, some of the indicators that you would assign to adults to uh, look when you're looking at body languages and response that you can't tell because they are um, still minors. And she was saying how people making certain claims were wrong. And I think what they really did was, you know, they, were, they weren't paying attention, obviously. YouTube wasn't paying attention. As this article gets into more detail about the human uh, computer interface that you deal with with YouTube when your content is flagged, but and, and that's what the thing it, that's what she gets into that YouTube's such a huge company, so many people working there. Why can you never talk to anybody? Why is it always an automated response uh, when they when they strike your channel, and why is it always an automated response when they restore it? There's never any human interaction 
you don't ever talk to a person, nor can you ever talk to a person, despite the uh, massive amount of employees that YouTube has. Well, in my view, and, and John wrote a, a great view, a mm-hmm. great article on this this morning, and it's up on HagmanReport.com. But in, in my view, what has been created, and, and perhaps this is the fault, maybe, or the resp- I, look. I don't, I don't know if I would use the term fault uh, in a blame sort of way, but but maybe it's when you look at the digital. Universe. I mean, all of this is a the virtual uh, reality. I guess it's it's not it's not like going out and talking with people you know, in the street or your neighbor or talking face to face. You've got this YouTube, Facebook, whatever it might be, all of these platforms. But in this particular case, YouTube. And what what the um, what they've done is they've created these massive massive town squares, and and this is akin, in my view to saying, okay, you want to talk in the town square, exercise your First Amendment rights. If 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 we think that your opinion is is consistent with ours, we'll let you. And if if not, then no, we're gonna we're, not only are we going to not let you speak, not let you use our platform, not let you into the town square. We are just gonna erase everything, all of you you know all of the everything you said, all of your content, we're gonna erase it. Now uh, to some extent, I think I think perhaps it is our fault. Number one for relying on YouTube, and, and I'm not believe me. I'm just being as objective as I can here. I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm just being objective, I guess. So, it, well, I'll pose it as a question: Is it our fault for playing in their sandbox and, and then um, complaining when, in fact, they kick us out of their sandbox? Is that our fault, or is, or, well, or is should a, you know the debate, the ongoing debate that uh, many people are having? And if you read some of the comments under John's article, people make the you know, that argument. Well, this is not censorship. They're a privately owned company. They can do what they want with the content. But but at some point, and, and this is my question: at some point, at what point do does the government or do the people does our system of limitations, that being our government? Declare a company like this a, a utility, right? For example, imagine imagine airlines uh, saying, "You know what? We're not gonna. We're, we're just not gonna. Uh, who'd you vote for? Or, or what's your political ideology? We're not gonna let you fly. Or if you've got a certain, if you, if you want to take Interstate ninety across the country, we're not going to let you. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's going to be up to your your acquiescence to our political framework ideology um, is it like that I guess that's my question but then but it's not so the, the, the when I say it's not I'm saying that the left the progressive left who has been always in control of this the liberal fascists it, it's it's a pretty common thing theme we've seen over the last hundred years it's it, it hasn't changed whether the venue is Facebook or YouTube or whatever social networking or the venue is just television or the media. If we don't agree with you, we are going to attempt to do everything in our power to shut you up. That's that's a that's mm-hmm. a progressive. That's a liberal fascist. That's that what is. they do. That is what they do, and that's that's the only. And we talk about this so often. That's all they can do. They don't have uh, the truth on their side. They don't have the ideas on their side. Their only argument, and their only way to to win the argument, is to censor. Is to 
uh, deceive and to lie. And that's what they do best. You know, they uh, call you names, they censor you at the same time, uh, and you can't get your voice out. And then they turn around and create lies about you. And then you can't even defend yourself. And when you do defend yourself, uh, they come in and censor you. And until it is figured out, the best way to go about, uh, you know, working around this using other platforms, we're just going to have to live with it. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to live with it. I'm not going to live with it. And nor should anyone. How can you even say that, Joe? Oh, what can you do though? Okay, what I don't, I don't know yet, but I'm not going to allow what I believe. No one's going to shut me up. No, no one's going to shut me up. No one's going to gag me. On certain outlets, they can. And there's, I mean, if they, right, I I understand that. On our YouTube channel tomorrow, we can have, we can write letters, we can call, we can complain. Our whole audience can call and complain. And if they choose not to listen to those complaints, and we'd have to find a new outlet. Well, it doesn't mean we have to stop and talking. See, and that's the thing. We've done that. By the way, we have, we have hardened our, our channel. Just so everyone knows this, I want to be loud and clear on this. We have backed up on independent servers. I mean, servers that we're on, I'm not going to get into the, the, the in our the, bathroom. Uh, yeah, in our bathroom. In our there bathroom. you go. We, we actually, um, off of eBay, Hillary Clinton was selling our server. <laughs> so we actually bought that from Hillary Clinton. Uh, hey, Robert Miller, are you interested? Oh, that's right. You're not. Okay. Uh, but we, we do have, no, seriously, at our studios, because of your support, we've been able to purchase the necessary equipment to back everything up to hard recorded everything. So, so all of our content is protected. And the other side of this is all of our no, no one's going to shut us up on the venues. We have venues. We don't. We're not going to rely on YouTube. They could. They could pull the plug tomorrow. Enough. I mean, good enough. Go ahead and pull the plug. But what what I see happening, and, and Joe, this is this is what I'm saying. When they come and attempt to turn off the microphone at the microphone level, I suppose, or the. Uh, uh, or, or leave you no outlet whatsoever. That's then. Then it's a whole different ball game. I, what I'm saying is, no one's going to shut us up. No one. They, they may take our YouTube channel down, and I would say, "What are you going to? You know, you guys say, what are you going to do? You can't do anything. Well, yeah, we can. We can find other ways and other paths of broadcasting, and we have, and and we will employ them at the, at the proper time. But. But see, this is the whole thing. And the report from, Joe, the, the, the report that, you, that we were talking about, the, um, um, the report by, uh, Megan Fox, she's suggesting that we could, I mean, violence, you know, it's going to turn to violence. Yeah. And she's not the only one. <clears throat> so Jones has a, a piece yeah. up on InfoWars that has really the same tone. And it's interesting to see violence is never the answer. Uh, but when they leave you with no other remedies, what do you expect people are going to do? And the piece up on InfoWars is YouTube employees suddenly on front lines of shooting war, they started via censorship and speech oppression. So it is an interesting tone. Now, obviously, nobody is advocating violence. I, I, I don't, I don't with agree no with it. I understand it, though. Right. When you leave people with no remedy, when there's no one to complain to, nobody to uh, uh, to fix, you know, what's wrong. And as crazy and as weird as this girl's content was, what was so harmful in it? 
she wasn't promoting violence. You're talking about the the shooter. The, the shooter. Yeah. I, look, I don't. I don't know. I I, she, I didn't get deep into her content. I don't know. I, well, it's nothing really deep there, except she did make one or two videos just commenting and showing the change in revenue and viewership. Um, and, and apparently, she posted videos along the lines of recipes, vegan uh, recipes, and uh, as I said, she did a number of videos in other languages, like uh, Farsi and whatnot. But let me let me make a clarification. It looked, it looked let me, let me make odd. a clarification. I am referring to Megan Fox, just to be clear, because I'm going to get misquoted here. Not Megan Kelly. It's Megan Fox. The website is pjmedia.com. Mm-hmm. The headline is "Sadistic YouTube Deletes Channels, Comma Demonetizes and Censors Content, and Refuses to Respond to Press." That's the headline. I don't want to be misquoted. Okay, I just right. So because there there was I already got an email an email. Saying, oh, no, 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 it's not the right person. Oh, yeah, it is. I'm looking right at it. So I'm sorry about that. You, 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 I, go ahead. Well, it's just, um, I mean, what, what else needs to be said? This person was obviously disturbed. Uh, she lived in a, in a nice house, maybe had a husband or boyfriend there. Her parents were there also. And this drove, I don't know how much money she was making on, on YouTube. It couldn't have been much from judging by what well, her videos that, that was like, her complaint. Right. You, you know, she, apparently she was. But, and. I don't know how. I, I was, I was monitoring all the, all of the, uh, you know, the, the sewage boards out there. And it, it's amazing that, that people are saying, well, she should get a real job. You, you know, as if, as if what she was doing, creating content, giving it to a specific audience. I, look, I don't know what it was, but. So, I don't know. You know, Joe, well, here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. This is far from over. This is just the beginning. And I hope people understand that. Because this is pretty much like, here's what I was thinking about today. As a conservative, and all conservatives and Christian conservatives that are out there, let me ask you this. Do you feel like when you wake up in the morning, you get somebody... You get out of bed, you, you know, you take a shower, you brush your teeth, you go down, you put your, put your clothes on, you go outside, and right away, as soon as you get out the door, or as soon as you start working, you get somebody poking their finger in your chest. And let me tell you something. I, I'll, I'll tell you this. Don't, don't ever poke your finger in my chest. Uh, you can do a lot of things to me. That's one thing I just don't like. But it's like a constant, you know, you, you walk out the door, somebody's poking their finger in your chest. You go to work, yeah, you know, same thing. Go to lunch, same thing. You go home, same thing. You're driving on the road, same thing. Poking you in the chest, and, and, and that, that to me, that, that's how what the liberal fascists are doing to the conservatives and Christians. So my question is, at what point do you take that finger and you put it into a crevice, an orifice of the person poking you in the finger or poking you in the chest? Yeah, I mean, because and, and it's it's not about this shooter. It's the, Please understand this. This is not about the shooter at YouTube. It, it, that's just this one spark of many. That's not, it, it's not about that. It's about something much, much, much bigger. And people have got to, instead of zeroing in on, oh, where, where is she from? And what's her ideology? And it's not about that. It's about her reaction to what YouTube did and how YouTube and other media platforms are treating the ideology that they don't care for and taking away the platforms of the people, number one, who are making a living, and number two, 
who present content in the Christian or conservative venue that immediately gets censored, or the pro-Second Amendment or pro-constitutionalist bias. And, and yet, you know something? The, the And this is the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to just turn it over to you. Well, the other part about this is, surprisingly, many of the Christian conservatives and conservatives they're okay with all much of this. They're okay with being shut up. Oh, well, okay, I guess that's the way we have to go. When are you going to fight back? What is your line in the sand? I'm just asking. That's a question. It's not a call for action. It's a question. What is your line in the sand? At what point are, is it going to take for you to stand up and do something? Just asking. I'm asking that question. So go ahead. Well, um, there's a great article up on the Daily Wire, and I'm looking for it. I referenced it earlier. I don't seem to be able to find it now. And uh, I'll, I'll find it. But it, it talked about, <clears throat> is being an atheist worse than being a Christian in name only, taking all the substance out of the word? And I think that is, um, you know, it, it's a, it ties into what, you, what you're talking about. And I'll find it here during the break. I'm not going to get into it now. But yeah, you can never let somebody take their voice away. Uh, we can't lay down in this fight. Absolutely not. That's what they, this is why they censor. This is what they want. This, that is the ultimate goal of these people is to, to shut you up, is to, uh, have you feel so defeated that you're not going to continue to try. And if they have done that, then they have done their job, which is the, the censorship and, and the lies and the deceit. That's what it's all for, is to not only change the narrative, but to defeat you in your journey for the truth. And if they can do that, then they've already won. But I want to kind of switch gears here as we're just uh, running a few minutes before the first break. I don't know how many people saw this. This is a pretty disturbing story coming out of London. So last night there was an incident in London where uh, there was a home invasion. Two men broke into a house where the homeowner was. He was a 78-year-old man. One of them was armed with a screwdriver. The 78-year-old man, uh, who has now been named as Richard Brooks, was forced into the kitchen by one of the two men who had a screwdriver. He struggled with one of the men, grabbed a knife, and stabbed this man in the upper body. The second burglar ran. The first burglar, who was stabbed in the chest, died at the hospital. Now this homeowner has been charged with murder. Think about this. In his house, minding his own business. 1.30 in the morning. He's awakened by the noise of somebody breaking in. He is threatened with a man with, with a, a screwdriver and backed into a corner of his house where he grabs a knife and is able to fight off an attacker and stab him. Witnesses have since described seeing the suspected burglar covered in blood as another man tried to bundle him inside a van in the early hours of the morning. But what does it say about the town of London, where you're defending yourself inside your own home against a man with a weapon, and you're arrested for murder? How can this even be... Sadly, it's I don't coming, get it. it's what are, coming to here. What are you it's supposed to do? You're supposed to, you know, let them rape you and kill you and take your stuff, and then call the police when they're when they're done. And anything short of that, you're in, you're on the hook. You're in trouble. And, and Joe, in London, I would suspect if if the victim or and I'm sorry, the perpetrator of the robbery, the guy with the screwdriver going, the 38 year old man going after the 78 year old man who ended up dead because he wasn't where he's supposed to be and assaulting the 78 year old man who fought back and was victorious, later arrested. I, I suspect that if the 
if that perpetrator, the the attacker, I, I bet you if he would have been Muslim, they would have charged the 78-year-old guy with a hate crime. Yeah. It's just, or, or if he was a transsexual, they would charge him with a, a hate crime. They said the uh, homeowner suffered bruising to his arms. His injuries are non-life-threatening. He was arrested on suspicious of grievous bodily harm and further arrested on suspicion of murder. They interviewed a local neighbor who is a martial arts instructor, a Clem Williams, who lives and has lived on the road for 20 years, says, Why were the men at his house? The man has a right to defend his home. They should let him go. He added, It is a very quiet road. Normally, we do not get police incidents down this road. There are a lot of older people here, and I'm quite surprised to hear about this. I've been here for 20 years and never had a problem like this. But what does this say about London? I mean, look at what's gone on in London just in the last week. You have the murder rate higher than New York City. Yep. In a place where they've banned guns. Yeah, for uh, how can that use. be? What was right, it? I thought banning they... guns is the answer to all violence. Maybe they need to solve violence. What, what, what were the, do you have the stats on, on how they were killed? Maybe they need to ban, like, uh, sculptures. No, the, the, uh, the murder or rate is directly sticks. related to, to stabbings. Stabbings. And okay, now, so now they're I... spending millions of dollars. Yeah. What is it? Uh, last month they spent over $1.4 million on anti-knife campaigns and, uh, propaganda messages on the news. It's not, it's not, an, it's not the problem of the inanimate object. It's not the problem of the gun. It's not the problem of the knife. It's, you know what? It, it's, it's a people problem, not a weapon problem. And it's always going to be that way. The anti-Second Amendment people, the anti, or the same anti-First, they're the same as the anti-First Amendment people. And, and you know what? It's a push for power. It's, we know better than you. We're smarter than you. Yeah. Well, that's their mentality. And they they have the moral authority over us as well. This is the latest article out of London. Blood on the Streets, London shooting. Londoners demand answers after the 48th murder this year rocks the capital. The teen named locally uh, Melbourne was gunned down in Tottenham last night, minutes before a boy 16 was shot just a few miles away. These are the latest attacks. As it was revealed, London has overtaken New York in murder rates this year. Stunned residents hit out, citing a lack of police as the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. And ordering the mayor of London to address the rising number of deaths on London Street. One person said, the 48th murder in London so far this year, what are you going to do about it? That was Pierce Morgan. Added another, we need more police on the streets. See, police are only there in response to a crime. They are not able to prevent crime, so more police is not the answer at all. As you said, this is not a weapons problem. A societal mass problem. shootings, uh, on average, end in five minutes. The average a police response time is eleven minutes. And who's shooting people in London? I thought they all guns were banned, from what I understand. We're going to pick up more on this on the other side. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. Next segment, we're going to continue with the news. Don't go anywhere. Wednesday, April 4th, 2018. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you so much for your support, whether it's just a prayer or just a, uh, an email, a letter, whatever. We read. We uh, we really appreciate each and every one of you. We're growing. We're in 100 and... Man, I'll tell you what. I think 100... Uh, even so far this year, 150 countries or 140 countries. I, I was looking at the stats. It was 
it was incredible and uh the number of the number of people listening you know there, there it's difficult to really measure in this kind of environment uh satellite and and uh, multiple platforms but the the numbers that you see for example on YouTube are nowhere near the numbers that 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 are people tuning in and I we can watch in real time how that how they're downplaying the numbers but aside from that I just want to say a quick thank you yeah. to Jolie I got a nice birthday card here it was real funny All right. in the studio yeah. with, the, with the cat on it thank you that was very sweet but you yeah it's birthday, a, huh? yeah last, last a week ago today no, I, which, I, 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 I came and went and uh one year older that's right half my life I'm, I'm at the halfway point if I'm lucky if you're lucky if I'm lucky but no, no you, we were talking about this during the break which is this is just a crazy story and we were just up in this neck of the woods actually last year uh, right around which May, neck of the woods Right in this uh, Deerfield, Illinois. Oh, that's right. That's Village right. bans semi-automatic weapons. Residents must give their guns to the police or face up to a thousand dollars worth of fines a day. Uh, this is a we need to talk about this. This is really I've not seen this widely reported. I've seen it reported in in spurts and spates and you know yeah. just little. So we need to talk about this because you have to ask yourself the question. Each and every one of you listening to this. Even if you don't own a weapon, are you going to tolerate this kind of power grab? So, okay, so Deerfield, Illinois, right? Deerfield, Illinois, voted unanimously yep. to ban semi-automatic rifles along with pistols and shotguns with certain features. Deerfield also voted to ban magazines that hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition. The ban passed Monday night outlaws any weapon the village leaders deem assault weapons including AR-15s, but the ban also includes semi-automatic rifles, pistols with shotgun, and shotguns with certain features. This is our fight. This is our generation's fight, and we're going to keep fighting, Deerfield High School student said at the public hearing, according to ABC7 Chicago. Thank you for being part of that. The new ordinance takes effect on June 13th. Residents who still have banned weapons after that date face up to a $1,000 fine per day. The new ordinance was modeled on a ban to put in place in Highland Park, Illinois, which was sent to the United States Supreme Court. The high court let a lower court ruling allow the ban to stand. Now, my question is this. Hmm. At what point are local ordinances allowed to... At what point does the Constitution trump these local ordinances? How can the Constitution be trampled on by a local communist-style city council and know what, the Constitution's not valid until a court rules again that it is valid? How is this going to continue to work? And who's going to turn in their guns? Who's going to come get these guns? And, and is anybody going to fight? And what's going to happen when they do? Yeah, that's a good question. Be, because uh, I'll, tell you that, I'll tell you this, all right, um, and this is not bravado. I won't even make it about, I won't even, I'll just say, I, I, there's going to be people out there who will say, you're not going to get my guns. Or you're not. You're not, first of all. You're not. You ain't coming in. You're, you're not going to take my my weapon. I have a I have a right under the Constitution. I think you make a good. The question is 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 valid. Do state, county, and municipal laws that violate the Constitution of the United States are, are they laws at all? Greg Jackson had spoken had spoken about this relative to abortion and relative to homosexual marriage. 
and other issues, I, I guess. But, but but in this case, but what about the Second Amendment and people? I'm, I'm not going to. I, it's amazing to me how people will take the Second Amendment and apply it to either hunting or apply it to, well, that's when our founding fathers uh, were fighting with muskets. Never did they dream of such weaponry. And, and then there is... I don't think that they cared. It wasn't no, about the size or capacity no. or... It was Read about the Federalist having, Papers. Exactly. And see, that's, what, that's the one thing people never do. They try to twist the Second Amendment's definition. Well... A well-regulated militia. That was for a well-regulated militia. No, it wasn't. If you read it, well, it says a well-regulated people like Scalia militia and, and others might might disagree. Uh, the the Heller decision. Yeah. Well, I mean, Scalia might disagree with that. What yeah. part of uh, the the right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed? Don't you understand? Well, you're misquoting the Constitution. <laughs> what about the first six words, or, or you know, first six words of the Second Amendment? See. Well, then fine. We'll classify our whole society as a militia. Uh, and which it is. This is the whole point of the... It, see, this is where we... I mean, if they've been able to dissect it this much, it's not long before they're going to be able to get rid of it. These people are control freaks. Yeah. That's, evil. that's what it's all about, right? From, you know... Uh, I mean, how does it even make sense that and with one side of their mouth, they're complaining constantly about how guns are killing children, yet they allow the murder of children through abortion, and that is a, somehow a civil right, but your right to own guns to defend yourself Against a tyrannical government or a home intruder, that's that's questionable. Well, see, but, you know, killing your baby—that's not questionable. You can't. You can't even. I mean, we can't even discuss abortion laws. Those are that's settled science. Well, it's the David Hogg, um, uh, David Hogg, uh, uh, mental—I suppose mental state—where you know it's it's uh, against the, your my feelings, on, Trumpy rights. Well, that and of course, you know, how dare you say that we, uh, we, we care, we must carry transparent backpacks, yet, uh, you know, he, he wants to mandate behavior under the Second Amendment. I mean, that's against his First Amendment rights, apparently, or his Fourth Amendment rights. I'm not sure he knows. Um, and, and here's a young man who, per science, his brain has not fully developed yet, if he is, certainly if he is, of the age that he states, not allowed to vote. Nope. But 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 yet he's but but he's making these these ridiculous claims, and the media um, is assisting and facilitating in this. And and I th- I think this is Joe. This is a bigger discussion, folks. This is a much bigger discussion. Um, this is about California succeeding from the union, essentially doing that through their sanctuary laws and and when you look at the the entirety of everything this nation has been so polarized mainly by the liberal fascists but it's polarized by the urban areas by the intellectuals in academia by the media they are the facilitators and even in some cases the orchestrators of this polarization and at some point, this has got to snap. I was listening to some audios that you and I did back in 2013. And I was listening to Josh Tully in 2013. And uh, the co- or the um, sheriff from Wisconsin, David Clark, from 2014. And everyone, we were all saying the same thing. We are being pushed toward a civil war in this country. 
And it was almost as if I was listening to a show that we did yesterday. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying. By the way, uh, just kind of going to a different topic, in my view, and we, you and I spoke about this before the show, in my view, I think that assigning the military to guard our southern border, as President Donald Trump has, you know, he has done, I, I really believe out of all of the uses of our military, bring them back from Afghanistan, bring them back from Syria, bring them back from the sandbox over there. What's our military supposed to do? Protect our country, right? I cannot think of a better use for our military. Now, I understand. Yeah, we get it. I understand that this is National Guard stuff. I get it. I get it. But I'm talking about our military. I have no problem. And, And this is not a Third Amendment issue either. It's not about the posse comitatus. Don't make it about that. This is very simple. It's the security of our nation. Border as savage as it is a national security issue. It is a national security issue. And our military should be the first and foremost thing that our military should do is be assigned to protect our homeland. And if that sounds rather Hitler-esque, as I've been accused of being, no apologies. We protect our nation. We protect our citizens. We protect our borders. And that's, to me, that's the, that's the job of the military. Let them do that. That's the best use of the military I can think of. But Joe, I, you might have something different. I mean, well, we're, not, we're not talking have, about putting them in their houses. Right. A lot of people yeah. have concerns that the deployment of the military at the southern border could lead to the, uh, you know, some kind of martial law type scenario. But I'll, I'll say this. As far as the, with, with what we see going on in the political battle, the, uh, the craziness of the left, you know, in the, uh, these people, this caravan of people demanding, you know, 1500 strong walking to the southern border demanding, putting demands on the United States and the United States government that they better get this and they better be allowed to do that is ridiculous. Uh, there are laws here. There are border laws here. And as we've said many times, the battle, uh, for, uh, on this issue is never addressed honestly. Nobody is against legal immigration. Nobody is against people coming here to make a better life for themselves. What we are against is giving preferential treatment to a group of people for political purposes while putting American citizens at, and those who are trying to become American citizens at the back of the line and, and their rights are getting trampled on for the sake of, you know, a political victory. And that's exactly what this is. So I think, you know, if, if the, as rabid and as unhinged as these people, uh, on the left have become over the immigration issue, the, uh, this will be a good uh, check to that. But obviously they're going to spin this, you know, as some kind of uh, tyrannical, unconstitutional uh, ruling by the president as Trump signs the proclamation to send National Guard troops but to the w- w- Wait, 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 wait. Oh, you know what? Dude, 2010. Hang on a second now. Oh, let me think. Oh, yeah. Who was it that sent 1,200 National Guard troops to our southern border in 2010? Was it uh, Jimmy Carter? No, no, no. It was, uh, uh, what was his name? Oh, yeah, Barack Hussein Obama. Yet no one said a word. 1,200 National Guard troops to our southern border. Not one person said a word. Mm-hmm. President huh. Trump How's that work? a proclamation Wednesday night to send National Guard to the southern border immediately, a senior White House official told Fox News. In response to what the administration described as an unacceptable flow of drugs, criminal activity, and illegal immigrant, Homeland Security Secretary 
Um, Nielsen said at the White House press briefing that the signing would be done in conjunction with governors and that the administration hoped the deployment would begin immediately. And obviously the National Guard here is much much better than sending in, you know, the the you know, first airborne or the Army or the Marines. There should be localized yeah, troops uh, from those states, from those cities. Okay, and, and, and I saw this too, Joe. Um, California is kind of sending some signals. If you, if you, if you read between the lines of the headlines, California sending signals, well, you're not going to use our National Guard. No, 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 no. But, but see, President Donald Trump has the authority to nationalize the National Guard or to federalize, I should say, the National Guard. And, and so, okay, so what happened? You see what a mess this is? You see what a mess these intellectual morons and midgets? Yeah. These mindless midgets and these, and these, these people who, who just live for controlling others. What I say, you know, I'm, I'm right, you're wrong, and that's, that's the way it is. Okay. I mean, you, you see, oh man. Wow. We are, and I do believe this. I, I had an FBI, well, I had a source within DHS and FBI back in 2013 say, look, the, the plan is to to create the flashpoints and to create the civil war. And I was out, I, I'm, I'm on record in 2013 by by in fact Glenn Beck back in his what I call a sane day um, had actually read my account on the on the show, read my article. Yeah, I remember that. And, and, and I think we were on the road. Yeah, coming back from Washington. Yeah, and I got, I got a phone call saying, "Hey," but anyway, but 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 the thing is. That was their plan under Obama, now under Donald Trump because of the desperation and because Donald Trump is in power and the the deep state is still rooted within the infrastructure of our government. They're just pulling out all the stops to push us to that point. And what you said about the Obama uh, administration sending National Guard troops was accurate. The AP reported the White House was considering a model similar to Bush era operations in 20, in 2006, when 6,000 National Guard troops were uh, deployed to uh, the border with non-law enforcement duties with additional border agents were hired and trained. Also, the Obama administration sent um, the National Guard to the border as well, but they don't have numbers in this article for uh, what he did. But they, Trump, President Trump cites weak immigration laws and loopholes, and the Homeland Security Secretary agreed and said, we will not accept the lawlessness of these types of efforts and those who choose to violate our laws, those who conspire to assist others to violate our laws will face criminal prosecutions, Jeff Sessions said. Well, what about the mayor of Oakland, Mr. Sessions? Or she has still yet to be charged, along with so many of these other mayors and uh, sanctuary okay. cities. You know, I'm not going to stick up for Jeff Sessions, Joe, but, but let me ask a question of you. Let's just say the Justice Department grows a pair, Sessions grows a pair in this instance and sends, uh, um, well, th- through the AG office, through the assistant uh, acting, or the assistant attorney general, or the U.S. attorney's office, arrests the mayor of Oakland, or indicts the mayor of Oakland. Now, what would be the response from, from the, oh, we already from, know what the response would be. And who cares? If, I mean, we can't do things based on what the response is going to be. Well, okay, but 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 if uh, I, yeah, I know that. But if you love our nation, I, and I'm I'm playing in in a sense devil's advocate here, only 
So I'm looking at both sides of this. If I was the attorney general, yes, what I would do is I would have call, I would call the mayor of Oakland privately and warn them if they did something like that ever again that there would be criminal charges, and I would issue a press statement saying as much. Anybody from this point forward who you know is engaged in protecting illegal uh, or criminal behavior, you can expect criminal charges. I would put a warning out there. Um, you, you but know, see, the, uh, the, the but, attorney general is more concerned about. I mean, you still have growth Ron Rosenstein yeah. in the White House or in the in the DOJ. Uh, it, the whole thing's messed up, and and for him at this point to step up and say, "Hey, we're going to be tough on this or tough on this," I don't buy it. I don't. I don't know that Jeff Sessions is the man for the job. I'm not I, I, don't, I don't either. I don't. I don't. I don't either. But I do know, though, the one thing that that he did do, and I just want to bring this up. Which is kind of a non sequitur, but but I think I need to to at least remind people what Jeff Sessions did. Uh, you you recall the calls for a special or special second counsel, mm-hmm. or, or yeah, a second, calls for a second special counsel. What Jeff Sessions had done was appoint John Hoover from Utah to work alongside Michael Horowitz, but but he had done this months ago. And John Turley, as a professor who's, who knows a heck of a lot more than I do, or, or that we do collectively, said that that's probably the that's even much better than a special counsel because Sessions appointing a Utah federal prosecutor would be much more expeditious in rooting out the corruption. And you're talking about uh, Turley, who's a professor of law at Georgetown, George Washington University, and um, you know, and, and he, and by the way. Uh, Turley is also a legal authority on special counsels and congressional investigations. So you're looking at someone that knows both sides of this coin. Um, but I want to point, push that out there because maybe in this case, uh, Sessions did something good, uh, but, but he's not getting credit for it. But I, yeah, I, I, look, I, I, here's the bottom line with me. There, there are alternative news media outlets out there who are Tending to believe Mueller's a white hat, that Rosenstein, that, that Mueller's actually working for Donald Trump. And we're seeing less and less of that. Thing. Yeah, we are. D- but don't believe that. I never believe that. Don't believe that. Uh, there's no evidence to support that. Mueller's out for Mueller, and you can cite his glowing, uh, you know, volunteering for Vietnam when he didn't have to and his glowing record. But, but at some point, there was a turn. Um, but the bottom line is this. The, um, with, with, you're going to see some really big explosions with the with the IG report coming out and the exposure of the criminality. You're always you're you're already seeing some some tremors of this. But but back to my point and the, the, what you're talking about, Joe. The optics of arresting, for example, um, uh, for example, uh, of a federal gov- government agency, a federal agency arresting the mayor of a city of a state that has ostensibly succeeded would that not further exacerbate and make matters worse now, I'm not saying we should back down I'm not saying that, that I'm just asking that question what would happen to our country if, if you were it's kind of like sitting in my view it's kind of like sitting at the desk and having the ability to launch a nuclear strike there ain't no way you're going to be pulling those missiles back right once they're out of the out of the tubes so you know, if you, is there, is there, uh, some level-headed thinking going on? Be, be, because the optics of that would be just a little bit, 
and, and for people who want the Civil War, a Civil War, if you really want it, man, you got a problem. Yeah, they don't know what they, you got they're a problem. asking for. Yeah, because go back and study the first Civil War and how many people died and what happened to our country back then. Yeah. And uh, Facebook, just real quick, we mentioned Facebook at the beginning. People are speculating that Mark Zuckerberg is is going to be out at Facebook. And the whole data breach or, or data transfer of the Cambridge Analytica story, there's an update on that. It was first reported that 50 million Facebook users had their data uh, turned over to this uh, company, Cambridge Analytica. Well, that number has been updated to 87 million users had their, their data misused. But was it really misused? We've talked about that multiple times in years past and, and even today. No, it wasn't. When you sign up for Facebook, when you use Facebook and their terms of service, any and all content that you put up on that website is going to be sold multiple times over again. Not only that, but there are, it, it goes much further than that from the using of your cameras and microphone, your contact list, uh, they even, I mean, there's so much more. Even Facebook scans the photos and links you send on their uh, other app, Messenger. System aims to detect content that violates standard. The company on defensive about how it handles private data. And this is just the latest from today. Facebook Inc. scans the links and images that people send each other on Facebook Messenger and reads chats when they're flagged to moderators, making sure the content abides by the company's rules. If it doesn't, it gets blocked or taken down. The company confirmed the practice after an interview published earlier this week with CEO Mark Zuckerberg, raising questions about Messenger's practices and privacy. Zuckerberg told Ezra Klein a story about receiving a phone call related to an ethnic cleansing in Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar. Facebook had deleted people trying to send sensational messages through the Messenger app, he said. But he also said in this interview, just assume that your data and anything that you posted on Facebook has been sold or, or given to other people, has been used multiple ways other than the way you intended it to be used for. Those aren't his exact words. That's just my own uh, take on it. But if you read the data policy and the new terms of service uh, that they have put out, they're trying to clarify um, with uh, Messenger and Instagram, they're trying to uh, use the same rules as Facebook, and they go on to say that we better explain how we combat abuse and investigate suspicious activity, including by analyzing the content people share. That's what Facebook put out with these new uh, terms of service. Facebook has been on the defensive after revelations that private information of about 87 million users wound up in the hands of a political ad data firm, Cambridge Analytica. Zuckerberg has agreed to testify before the House next week and is holding a conference call on Wednesday afternoon to discuss changes to the Facebook privacy policies. The company is working to make its privacy policies clearer, but still ends up with gaps between what it says users have agreed to and what users think they actually have agreed to. And again, anybody who uses Facebook, anybody who uses any social media, expect your information not only to be data mined, expect it not only to be uh, uh, sold, but even the things that you didn't post, that you started to post, as we saw with Twitter, we have seen the uh, private messages, even deleted private messages, are still tracked and cataloged by Twitter themselves and stored. Uh, there is no privacy on the Internet. And there especially is no privacy on social media. And we have known this. So 
again, nothing new. The big question is, um, are they going to basically make Mark Zuckerberg, uh, you know, kind of step back from the face of the company while promoting somebody else? Um, you know, that is yet to be seen. But either way, um, more is going to come, continue to come out about this. And Facebook is going to continue to lose money as it is shown how they misuse data. Now, when I say they're going to continue to lose money, that's on the stock market. They're making it up on the back end by continuing to sell your data to other uh, companies. Last minute and a half here before we have our break, I want to urge everybody to go to Hagman Report. Check out some of the articles that are up there, including John Roberts' latest piece. Censorship war goes hot, shots fired at YouTube. True news is the latest YouTube casualty. We have talked about the shooting at YouTube yesterday. But one thing we have not talked about is True News had their YouTube channel shut down. And this is something that has been a battle. Why, though? What was the reason? Well, this is what's interesting about this. Apparently, they went back to 2014 and found two True News programs from 2014 they deemed to be offensive. And the one from 2017 was a movie review of a movie called The Promise about the Armenian Genocide. So, here you have YouTube. Obviously, uh, it, this wasn't about the content. They wanted True News off their platform. Otherwise, they would not have went back to 2014. But they used the, this as an excuse to say, hey, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna take your channel off it's here. It's bigger. The agenda is bigger than people realize, except for our listeners. You, you know it, but what, what's going on? The end game here is what really is, it's it's a, it's a, it's bigger. Right. ISIS can have, you know, channels on YouTube, but not a Christian news organization. Don't you dare. Don't even think about it. And as you said, um, is President Trump going to address the censorship issue? That is a good question. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Gretchen Smith. She has a operation called codeofvets.com. We're going to be speaking with her, so don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. things to get into, you know, again, Facebook, uh, it was it was noted last week, Facebook quietly begins fact-checking political photos and videos and getting in there, and then we then we see the YouTube thing happen, and and it's funny that, uh, um, well, look at the progressive left, the, the liberal fascist response to the YouTube shooting, and, and there's silence where there shouldn't be. It's just, it's just interesting. Well, right. There's a comedian Ian Black. I'm going to politicize the bleep out of this. Yeah, of course. All the people thought it was, um, you know, some, some disgruntled NRA member, but, you know, it turns out not to be. And that's the, uh, the way of the world anymore today. Everything is politicized, including the next issue we're going to get into, which should be a unifying issue. Everybody should be on board with helping uh, veterans, returning veterans with any, any, everything in between from healthcare, to benefits, but it seems that these people are put into the the back of the line, and we've seen the horrible conditions at the VAs. People, the veterans, waiting months for for medical care. It's just unacceptable. But we have with us the founder of Code for Vets, Gretchen Smith. She served in the United States Air Force as a security specialist, 
excuse me, stationed in code Germany. Code of vets or code for vets? Let's make that clear. Code of vets. Code, code of vets, okay. And we have uh, Gretchen with us, and we'll bring her on and right now, and we'll let her give you the rest of her bio. Uh, Gretchen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you. It's great to have you on. And the uh, uh, first time on the Hagman Report, want to welcome you. And if you don't mind, just let's start out by just let people know a little bit about yourself and about your organization. Well, again, my name's Gretchen, and I'm the founder of Code of Vets. It is an incredibly brand-new group. I just started it in October. I am a stay-at-home mom and Air Force veteran. My husband and I met in the Air Force over in Ramstein Air Base. I got a great foundation with the Air Force. We have nothing but incredible things to say about our time um, there that we spent over there. We actually started our college education over there, and we both wound up with four degrees each. <laughs> we, we enjoyed it so much, and we really do give the credit to the Air Force for that foundation, for providing us with incredible life and uh, just the structure, the discipline. Um, I could just go on and on about that. But anyway, um, with the Code of Vets regarding uh, this group, as I've been getting older and I'm getting ready to become an empty nester, I've been looking for purpose and I've been reflecting on my dad's service and his time in Vietnam and his life in general was very troubled, uh, struggled with severe PTSD. And that's really where Code of Vets evolved from is that is the passion I have for our country, for my dad and his life. I just, the more I think about him, the more I want to honor him. I do not want his legacy to be forgotten. Uh, his service mattered and the struggle that he had with his PTSD from his combat era um, really has touched me as I've gotten older and I just want to reach out to other veterans who are struggling with those issues to let them know they are not alone. Well, there are no shortage of veterans who listen to this show and it's great to see uh, people taking action and uh, trying and, and doing coming together to do things for veterans and, and Gretchen we've seen such horrible things over the last 10 years especially with the VA uh, system and we've seen just recently a change in the leadership in the VA what's going on why is it so hard for the government to be able to provide health care another basic service to veterans and especially when these people are ones who who've been on the front lines fighting and dying for our country's freedom why can't we get this together to where we even have uh you know it seems that they don't have standards anymore the conditions are are terrible why can't they get the va straightened out well that's the million dollar question i i wish that i could uh, answer that for you it is a tragic tragedy what our veterans go through Again, this our Code of Vets group is new. I have um, rooms in, on our Twitter page out in the social media where we have veterans behind the scenes chatting with each other 24-7, basically, and they share their stories. And it breaks my heart to hear time and time again that they are not getting the basic care that they need. They're waiting months. They're waiting years for just basic care. Some of them have been waiting on surgery for Many, many months, if not years, they, they, the appeals process takes a, a minimum <laughs> of two, three, four, five years. It's, it is truly a travesty what they go through, and I cannot wrap my mind around it. I do not understand why our government has not stepped in before now because it appears, especially like you said, in the past 10 years, it has, it has really gone downhill, and it's getting worse. We have veterans who are dying. I have a veteran in my group. Who could lose his legs? He has 20% blood flow in his legs, and he is not getting the care that he needs. He's not getting the surgery that he needs. And I, I, I want to be an advocate for them. I want to speak out for them. I am not a professional, but they have my heart. They have my passion. 
And I, I don't know how to, <laughs> this is sad thing is I do not know how to answer that question. And it is really, it really does look bad on our government for not stepping up and taking care of our American heroes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's so unfortunate to see this. It's, it's a common thing anymore where you see these stories, uh, from a local to a national level where veterans are, are, are struggling with issues. And we'll take PTSD aside just for one second. We'll deal with that in a minute. But things as basic as, uh, shelter, healthcare, meals. Do we know what percentage, I mean, how many uh, returning, what's the homeless percentage for returning vets? We've seen over the years a number of figures, but it, it's uh, it's heartbreaking to think that these people are just being left out in the cold, left to, to die with no help, and, and it, it's very frustrating to see, but we know that uh, homelessness seems to be rising in America, but why is it that the veterans are suffering uh, in this category as well? You think of any category of people who shouldn't have to deal with this, it would be, it would exactly. be veterans. They are really slipping through the cracks. They and, it, and the tragedy is there are American heroes. Again, I have a Marine in my group. He's 30 years old. He's in a wheelchair. He was homeless in D.C. for six years. He now lives in um, outside of uh, San Antonio, Texas. But he literally lives from paycheck to paycheck. Um, he he has to stretch his pennies in order to be able to eat and to pay his bills. And he actually is concerned that he could end up homeless again because he's on disability, of course. Um, he's a 100% disabled veteran. And he, he's just not able to quite survive on that. And it is a shame that that he is just one of many stories out there that is struggling, um, not able to have enough food. I, I just, it breaks my heart. I, I don't even know what to say about it. Again, it's difficult to wrap your mind around us as a country not taking care of the men and women who have gone overseas and fought for us and put their lives on the line and signed the oath. And this young man did. He he was in Iraq for four-plus years a Marine, again, in a wheelchair because of his service for us. And he has been um, struggling with that cycle of homelessness. Just not, he's not earning enough income to keep himself sheltered and fed. Uh, wow, it's mind blowing. It well, is. Gretchen, it is. Okay, so so you've established code of vets. Tell, tell us why and and what you do, or what your goals are and objectives are, because I, okay. I I'm really this is good stuff, folks. Listen, especially if you've got a family member, friend, um, who is a veteran. But go ahead. Well, we're, we're we're a small group right now, and again, I started it in memory of my dad. He struggled with PTSD, and again, we can touch on that in a little a little bit later. But I wanted to honor his life, his service, so that's how the Code of Vets evolved. And initially, we started out as just um, veterans helping veterans. And, again, we're a small group. And what I do is when uh, we have a veteran comes across our radar, and we're, and we're social media only, so if they come across our, our, our radar on social media, I will live stream and discuss what their issue is. And the latest one um, I did, I'll give you an example. We, there's a homeless veteran in New Jersey living in a tent. His name's Eddie. And um, he came across our radar. I immediately got on and explained his situation. We had um, Good Samaritans that went and checked on him immediately as soon as I gave an address to where the, the tent could be located. Uh, he was taken. They t- he, I believe an individual took him a winter coat and a little bit of money, and uh, he is a dishwasher up there. He's got a beautiful story. He's not an addict. He's not addicted to any substance. He's just, he does not earn enough money for shelter and food. He lives in a tent. He's able to buy his food and clothing, but that's it. That's all he has the money for. Again, I go back to our 
our government has failed them. So what we're doing right now is we're, we're focusing on one veteran at a time, and that's all we can do at this point because we are so small. But as we can continue to grow, and I am praying that we will grow nationwide, that we will be able to, to help hundreds, if not thousands, of veterans. But again, if you just find us on Code of Vets, uh, at Code of Vets on in Twitter, that's where we uh, mainly are at. And we have several groups um, that you can join and just talk with the veterans or, or if you are a veteran and struggling, needing help. And basically, we're just daily chat support. We're not a therapy group. <laughs> you know, we are, we're just support for each other. We share each other's stories and we just walk with each other. And there, there really isn't a magic pill that you could take if you are struggling with PTSD. I dealt with that with my dad for many years, but you know what? It helps when you walk with somebody who's been on that path. It lightens the load, um, and we're really here for um, each other. It's, it's truly it's a, it's a brotherhood, and, but our big picture, our big umbrella, our mission statement is to support and share America First veteran candidates. We need more veteran candidates in office, and that's that's what I found, and that's how we've evolved over the past few months. Is just instead of primarily just focusing on one veteran at a time, we've all been discussing the political issues and how they're impacting us as veterans. And so God has really laid it on my heart to speak uh, to speak for and about veteran candidates who are conservative and who will go to D.C and affect true change for us um, and it's just and it has just really exploded in growth recently once we took on that per, that mission statement to to support our veteran candidates so that's what that's what we're that's what we're doing right now because we are looking for a big change um, we love helping veterans one at a time but we want to see our our vets across the country to get the help that they need and we need legislation in order to do that effective legislation i should say <laughs> yeah and i agree with you i can't imagine anybody that doesn't agree with you you know we live in a and we talk about this so often on the show is the great political divide that we see in today's society and even on an issue like this where you think both sides would be able to to jump on board and pass meaningful legislation we just can't seem to no. Uh, to do that, and, and maybe it's not because of the actual subject. It's just because of that. Nobody wants to to give in to the other side, and that kind of mentality. Exactly. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's it's terrible. It's destructive. But let me ask you this: uh, So far, President Trump, he, he's been a different kind of president. He was elected to to really shake things up and change things. Uh, one, do you think that he has uh, or will do for vets what other presidents have not done yet? And are you happy um, as the founder of Codes of Vets with what he has done so far? Well, his attitude and his genuine compassion and love and honor for the military and veterans is apparent. Uh, I've embraced him 110%. You can tell when he is talking about his veterans and the military that he honors them and he loves them. He is a patriot at heart. For me, it's very genuine and it's authentic. I do believe he is going to affect change for us. However, I believe it is on us. concerned American citizens and veterans to vote in outsiders, to vote in veteran candidates who will go to D.C. and stand with him as he's trying to push agenda through this this America First agenda that his vision for us is sound, it's practical, it is going to benefit not just veterans, but us as American citizens in general. And so that is the goal is to get in as many grassroots outsiders, as many conservative uh, veterans into D.C. to stand with him to push this agenda through. I, I do believe we're going to see true change for our veterans if we can get this agenda to, 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 
to get up and running with the the help that it needs. President Trump, I believe President Trump is on his own in D.C. He gets resistance from both sides of the, both sides of the aisle. To the establishment, that's the problem. The, the career politicians. Again, if we can get some outsiders there that can help him push this, I do believe we're going to see great things for our country, which will include the veteran community. Do you think the 2018 midterm elections we're going to see uh, more of what we uh, more of the American people voting in politicians who are going to support President Trump and his agenda, or do you think it's going to take a step backward um, towards this what, what they're calling this blue wave? That is a tough question. <laughs> no, I know. I, I, you know what? It, it, I, you know what? I firmly believe in my heart that people are beginning to see the impact President Trump is having, whether you like him or whether you don't like what he has to say, or I love President Trump. I honor who he is and I embrace everything about him because what he, the vision he has for a country, again, is practical. It's common sense. So I accept all the weaknesses because he's a human being. He's imperfect, just like I am, just like you are. We are all imperfect. We all have our weaknesses. So for me, that's an easy one to accept who he is. However, some people are not on the same page. But I believe there are more. This I believe there is a silent majority. And my husband and I, we, we were independent for a, long, for a long time, for many years. And President Trump got us both fired up with what he had to say about his, about his vision, the future for our country. And I am all on board with this America First agenda because it, it's bringing jobs back. It's, it's, it's just the economy is soaring. It's, it's phenomenal what he's been able to accomplish against the resistance. I do believe that independence and I do believe that many, many American citizens, they're seeing the effects of what he's done just in the past, what, 14 months or so. And I do believe that we will be able to retain the majority. I do believe we might lose a few seats, but from what I'm seeing, people do not like to stand up and shout that they support President Trump, but there are millions out there that do, and I do believe that they're going to pull through for us because we all have got to band beside him and get our country back on track. You're exactly right, and this is what bothers me so much, and I know that the midterm question, nobody knows what's really going to happen, and if you ask me, I have no idea myself. (laughs) But what bothers me is right now we have the Republican House and Senate, and you have mm-hmm. uh, President Trump in, in the White House, and nothing can get done. But I can't imagine um, the other side where if you had a Democratic House and or Senate, uh, obviously nothing would still ever get done. But it just it's mind-boggling to me that after the years of the Obama administration and then you know the first two years of the President Trump administration where you have basically a clear lane to pass whatever you want, that they... The only thing that has gotten done is the tax bill. Everything yeah. else seems to be, you know, through executive order or action or proclamation. Mm-hmm. And these people are not working together. And I fear that organizations and, and causes uh, like what you have undertaken uh, with Code of Vets are going to uh, feel the brunt of this, you know, political, unnecessary political battle in this country, no matter who wins the election uh, in 2018 midterms. And it's really unfortunate that. Um, that we see this behavior from our elected officials that is so destructive. But switching gears here, what we see with the immigration battle, how do veterans feel that you've talked to when they see lawmakers putting the the uh, illegal immigrants over veterans and returning veterans who've served our country? What is the attitude of, of the veterans on these issues? 
Oh, it's infuriating. It's it's disheartening. It's frustrating. Um, we're we're all filled with anger. We we're frustration with frustration. We do not understand. It's it's tough to grapple with the immigration issue that we have and that we're experiencing in our country because we have immigration laws, but it, but the key word is but they are not being enforced. We we've all served our country and we we expect the leaders of our country to do the same. They are there to serve us and to be our voice, but they are not our voice. They it, it appears to be they are the voice for the illegals, and it makes no sense. Uh, it, for for us, it's very simple. Follow the law. You know, when you're in the military, you, you have to follow the chain of command. You follow your, the, all the regulations that are set set place in front of you as you move forward in your career. It's it's that simple outside in the civilian world as too. And NBC, you follow the law. We're a country of law and order. We are a sovereign nation. We have laws in place for a reason. If you, if you do not follow the laws, you're going to end up with anarchy. And guess and look what with these sanctuary cities. If you really look at that, take a good close look at them. They are starting to fall towards anarchy because laws are not being followed. They're protecting the criminals. They're protecting the illegal immigrants. They are not protecting the American citizens. And it drives the veterans absolutely crazy when we're sitting on the sidelines watching this unfold, watching our leaders take a stand that makes no sense. And we we, we just want to vote in leaders who are going to be our voice, who are going to have our back, who are going to protect us in the way that we have protected them. Amen. Um, on the same same line, you're experienced. Uh, you've, you're around people who are experienced in, in this, in, in the military affairs of the military, and, and of course the constitutional oath. The question I have, or one of them, are, are you in favor, or, well, yeah, are you in favor as a vet yourself, and 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 I would say experience in the military, to, to for the use of our military to guard our southern border, uh, with respect to the absolutely. Okay. All right, that's good. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, we, we definitely need to utilize whatever resources that we have to protect the sovereignty of our nation. And it is I truly believe it's gotten to that point that they're, especially California, they're, they're flexing their muscle and they're standing up against our uh, administration in such a manner that is, it's, it's putting our national security at risk because they are harboring criminals. At this point, it's gone way beyond just um, law-abiding uh, illegal immigrants, so to speak. Uh, which law-abiding and legal doesn't really go together. No, <laughs> it's hey, not, that's an oxymoron in itself. Hey, but you know exactly. what I mean. They're they are trying to state that they're all you know law-abiding. They have jobs. They have you know the American dream in mind. That's why they're here. But that's not the case for everyone that is here. There are a lot. There's a criminal element that they're protecting, and that puts us as American citizens in danger. So I absolutely stand with the president about sending the military, the National Guard, down to protect us. All right. Um, uh, now, two, two questions here because we're getting short on time. Um, you had mentioned your father. You had mentioned uh, in this conversation. Uh, I'm just curious as to your assessment. Uh, with respect to the, the treatment, because I remember the vets coming back from Vietnam, and, and I remember both the visible treatment, of course, the airports, the uh, I remember that part of it, but also the uh, the support side from the from the VA. Compare that, your dad, you know, Vietnam era treatment of vets then versus today. 
Well, I believe we have learned lessons from um, the 70s, from the Vietnam veterans. Number one, they were treated horrifically when they were when they returned. When my dad stepped off of the airplane with his brothers, they were throwing rotten tomatoes, other veg- vegetation at them. They had signs and they were screaming baby killer and other profanities. Um, but by, my dad, he said he blocked it out, didn't even think about it. He was so grateful to be away from the atrocity, away from the jungle that everything he'd witnessed and been through. He he buckled. He he fell to the ground on his knees, kissed the ground, as many, many combat um, men and women do. And his brothers, they all did. They all fell on, they fell to the ground, kissed the ground. And um, in those moments, Dad said that those protesters did give them respect and did they stopped yelling um, and because they realized that they were human beings and that they were grateful to be home and my dad said that was a powerful moment but moving forward that with with the care that he received um, afterwards there it was practically non-existent my dad really did was one of the many veterans back then that didn't talk about what happened um, they were not encouraged to that actually um, it was looked down on to share those type of experiences and emotions they were expected to keep it quiet and that really damaged my dad um, on a very deep level and he ended up passing away at age 57 just with multiple issues from, um, from dealing with the PTSD for many many years it's, it's like a cancer it's like a cancer if you do not discuss it and talk about it and seek treatment and help it will kill you and it will shorten your lifespan and so I do believe in this the, the time we live now when we look back we have come we have come a long way and it, it is not um look down upon to talk about your PTSD and the struggles that you have with combat and it, it, it's healthy to to discuss it and to get it off your chest and to walk with others who've, who've uh, walked that path so I do believe we are learning lessons from it we have a long way to go the veterans are still not getting the help that they need but I believe we are taking steps forward in the right direction excellent uh, Gretchen, we only have about two and a half minutes left. I want to ask you this. What can people do to uh, help you and support you guys in your mission? Well, right now, we are just, we're just growing our numbers. <laughs> Again, we're looking to grow nationwide. We are looking to grow, uh, grow to the point where we can have many, many vets, not just one at a time. So if you could, if you could find our website, codevets.com, and sh- just share it. Uh, follow us on Twitter, um, at Code of Vets. Share the information we're putting out. Share our live streams that we are just when we have uh, veterans in in need and distressed, and and as we're sharing our veteran candidates, just get the word out about us. That's the right now. That's the best thing. We're we're not accepting money at this time. We have not grown to the point where <laughs> we can delegate that yet. But we we are we are looking at that. That we know that's coming in the near near future. So donations will be um, probably something that will be starting up soon. But as for now, just just sharing the, about Code of Vets and getting the word out because we, I mean, we 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 are growing quickly and it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's from God. It's genuine. It's it's about vets. It's for vets, and it's just I've been I've really been humbled by the growth and by the response that we've been receiving. So everybody who listens to the Hagman Report, get out there. Go to codeofvets.com or at codeofvets on Twitter. Follow them and retweet their stuff and, and promote it to others out there. We have to stick together, especially when we're talking about something uh, like the, the veterans and the conditions and rights of veterans that we have in this country uh, being overlooked and overshadowed for so long. 
and the horrible conditions from the, the VAs to the medical care, there is no shortage of things to do when it comes to helping veterans. And we want to make sure that um, your organization, that our listeners support your organization in any way they can. So make sure you continue to spread the word about Code of Vets at CodeofVets.com or at Code of Vets at Twitter. Uh, Gretchen, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was great to have you on, and we will uh, follow so up at the end and have you back. Oh, beautiful. It was an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, th- well, thank you, and thanks for all you're doing. And, and folks, let's get behind the Code of Vets. As Joe said, at Code of Vets on Twitter, uh, social networking. You just do the search, but we'll, we'll provide some links in the program description. Thank you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you and, so much. Uh, God bless you. It's an honor. Oh. It is an honor. I, w- I want to do more. <laughs> Amen to that. All right. Amen. Thank you. All right, folks. We're going to we right come back. back. We're going to be joined by Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer. He is uh, going to be with us in April 20th through the 22nd in Canton, Ohio, at the Occupy 2018 conference. Wait a minute. We're going to be with him. I we're going to be with him. There He's going to be with us after this break. Go to CoachDaveLive.com. Sign up and get your tickets. There's not much left. Not much time, not much tickets. So make sure if you want to go, you secure your tickets today at CoachDaveLive.com. We'll be right back after this short break. Don't go anywhere. devil knows your name. We're, we're in a fight. We're in a battle already. Which side are you on? Are, are you are you on God's side? Is God on your side? Is there a uh, is, is there a proper relationship there? We're, we're fighting a war. It's 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 a cold war right now, in a sense. I suppose. I don't know if it's by definition, but at least the way it is right now, but the fact is, is we're, we're in a war, and we're in an epic battle. The mm-hmm. fate of our nation hangs in the balance. Yes, it does, and I don't know how many people saw this. This is something that uh, Coach really really uh, got in front of when it first came out, the target allowing uh, men into women's bathrooms. Well, there was an incident in Target. Uh, just What could possibly, Joe, what man, could go wrong? A man went into a, a woman's bathroom or changing room and exposed himself to a a young child. You don't see in a target bathroom just this target. week. The, the, the guy that single-handedly, I think, uh, brought down Target's uh, yeah. earnings a couple million dollars, and he's got the target on his back himself. Uh, Coach Dave Dobmar, CoachDaveLive.com. That's the home, that's the web yeah, website. Here it is. Mark, he exposes himself to child in Target uh, women's bathroom. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? It's, it's such a good idea. Let's just let's just all you know. Rectal cranial inversion. Uh, or cranial rectal inversion. Uh, that, that's what that's what's really going on with with a lot of these liberal fascists on the these these people who believe that they're smarter than than we are. And of course, the hell with science. Anyway, Coach Dave Dobmeyer, Occupy 2018. The event is coming up fast. Occupy 2018. Go to CoachDaveLive.com. Get your tickets. Register like right now. Okay, and then you can see and rub elbows with Coach Dave. Coach, come on board. Well, Doug, I don't want to. <clears throat> I don't want to be uh, bragging, but I want to make sure that we're factually correct here. It was twenty billion. 
uh, that doesn't even sound possible, does it? Twenty it, million dollars. Twenty coach, million dollars. This this yeah. article says ten. The Target suffered a ten billion dollar loss in yeah, value, a full twenty percent drop in their value after their CEO not only doubled down on the policy but went as far as comparing it to being racist if you opposed their new bathroom policy. Yeah, twenty billion, Joe. When when it all when it all uh, got settled out, it was twenty billion dollars. And you know, I'm not. I don't take credit for it, uh, Joe. The only thing I did is I showed up at Target with my cell phone and my daughter, and I went to them and said, are, are you kidding me? Is this really what's going on here? And then the American Family Association grabbed a hold of it, and uh, what happened happened, and Target is, man, they, they, I don't know if they're ever going to recover from it, but the point I want to try to make is anybody with a cell phone and some courage can really make a difference in this society we live in, and you know, Doug, I was listening listening to you there as uh, as you were coming out of the break. I just I wrote a commentary tonight. In fact, I just sent it off to John. I don't know if he'll get it posted or not. I I said, put down your damn phone and fight. Put down your phone and fight. Amen. So many people that you know when they're on Facebook, they're they're everywhere. And you know, I got I got banned again, Doug. I got banned from or uh, put in Facebook jail again. Now listen to this. I was banned for thirty days. I got off for two hours, and they put me back in. And they put me back in on a four-year-old posting that I put. Now, you know, say, ah, who cares? What's, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is there's a, there's a concerted effort out there to shut the mouth of anybody who's going to stand up and speak the truth, especially in regards to Christianity. And that's why I, I know the fight that you guys are under, and you saw what they just did down to Rick Wiles. And like I said, I'm just a little tadpole flopping around here, but they're after me as well. So, uh, Put down your damn phone and fight, buddy. It's, uh, it, the war is right before us for sure. You, you know, I I, I got to tell you, you showed up at, in front of the Supreme Court, um, held a, a vigil there. You, you showed up in, in front of Target, and we saw what happened there. One man, one person can make a difference. And, and you've always said, all you got to do, I mean, we, we can win on the numbers, just show up. People asking, <laughs> what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Well, show up. Get, get well, in the game. Well, first Go of all, Doug, uh, one, one, uh, two, of the, two of the things, two problems we have. Number one is uh, we're not used to, for whatever, those of us who are, who are Christians, we've been so uh, so uh, feminized. And so, uh, man, there's, there's almost no fight in the Christian man anymore. So we're really, really fighting against that, that, that uh, most people think that if you're a good Christian person, you don't make any waves and, you know, uh, you just go along to get along and, you know, pray for people. I, mean, I, I understand all that, Doug, but uh, unfortunately, the enemy knows that as well. We've become an easy prey. You know, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says, You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses his savor, it's henceforth good for nothing except to be cast out and trodden under the foot of man. Now, Doug, if you can't see that Christianity is being trodden under the foot of men here in America. I, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. Now, listen, Christianity's not going to fail. <laughs> this thing this thing's going to play out, and we know who the conquering king is. But, brother, in the meantime, we got a lot of we got a lot going on. we got a lot of souls that are at risk. we got children and grandchildren and kids not even born yet that are paying the price of the church's in, inaction and inactivity. And that's why, as you guys know, my heart is to get guys, get boots on the ground, guys, and get guys in, into the game and give God a chance 
to make a difference. We made a difference at Target. We made a difference down with Kim Davis. We made we made a difference with Ken Hovind. I can go on and on and on, Doug. And I'm telling you, it's simply stepping out, boots on the ground, and showing up and give God a chance to show off. So uh, that, that's that's my heart cry, brother. Come on, we you, we, we got to show know, up. We got to play. I, I got to say this, Coach, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this, but I, I just I, I was absolutely astounded. You you were right over the target, Ken Hovind. Uh, uh, with respect to the um, his uh, tax issues, um, we got him out of jail, Doug. Yeah, you did. We got you him did. Out of jail. That's, that's what blew like my, it is. But what blew my mind, Coach, were, were these these, and, and forgive me, but but these sanctimonious uh, Christian bloggers who took issue with you saying you got a criminal out of jail. I and it's like, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with these people? Sorry. <laughs> No, what what is? That's what we're that's what we're fighting against. You know, the scriptures tell us that our enemies are going to be those of our own household, and I think it not only means our sometimes our own family, but I think the the household of God. And Doug, uh, I'm telling you, if if the if the church just wouldn't fight against me, us, if the church just shut up and let us do our thing, but uh, we fight, we get a lot of pushback and a lot of opposition. And those that you would think would, would be on our side. So when Jesus said that your enemies are going to be those of your own household, I think we're just talking about too many different agendas. And I'm not interested in building a big kingdom for me, and I don't want to start a church and build a big kingdom. I want to build the Christ kingdom, right? That's what that's what we're supposed to do. The kingdom is at hand. Jesus is. said we're supposed to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, not the gospel of the kingdom of the pastor. And uh, as strange as that might sound, uh, most of the lost people, are outside of the church, so I think we probably ought to go out there and try to try to round them up. Well, I, I, I agree with that. Hey, Co- Coach Dave Dobmeyer, CoachDaveLive.com. That's CoachDaveLive.com. Uh, every morning, like clockwork, uh, with with uh, his his show. Uh, uh, I got to tell you, tune in seven o'clock in the morning Eastern Time. Uh, CoachDaveLive.com. And Coach, I want to I want to get your take on this. Um, what do you think about the president? deploying the National Guard to the southern border to tighten up our uh, our immigration. Well, isn't that what the National Guard's for? What, what's the National Guard for if they don't, <laughs> if they don't protect our na- nation? And, I, you know, I, I guess I'm a little bit old school. I'd like to see them get some of those boys over there in Afghanistan and get them the hell out of here, out of there, and get them over here where they can make a difference. Because, uh, you know, I was reading something today on, on the computer uh, you know, you can't, as you guys know, you can't believe everything you read. But you know what? Maybe, maybe Trump's got a uh, Doug and Joe. Just imagine this—that there really was a plan to invade America. And I'm not talking about just with uh, immigrants. I'm not talking about those hordes coming over from down in uh, South America. What if there was an invasion planned by enemies who hate America? If we talk about the Chinese or the Russians or whatever. And Doug, what if we had? a wall built around this nation. Wouldn't that make it a little bit tougher for them to be able to get in? And so I sometimes I wonder if uh, what seems like foolish and madness to us is really something deeper is going on, something deeper at work. And so I think one of the things that uh, the enemy certainly would not want to see is our troops down on the border. And uh, Michael Savage says that if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. Borders, language, and culture, if you don't have those three, you're not a country anymore. So I, I, I think uh, I think President Trump's doing the right thing, and not only that, I think it calls a lot of bluffs, and I like a guy who does that. Yeah, you know, and many people are 
uh, on both sides of the aisle saying, well, this is a one step away from martial law. Or look how, oh my you know, yeah, I mean, you, but, you know, uh, actually, one one thing that, as you said, Coach, the, the wall, it, we, we need multiple layers of security at the border, and it's yeah, not just absolutely. a wall. You know, you need the, the uh, border, uh, the ICE and border agents. You need uh, security and surveillance systems and monitoring systems. So it's not just the wall. But when we see, uh, you know, the president sign this or pass through this trillion-dollar spending bill and so little is given for the wall, and then you see these convoy of illegals demanding things from the government, saying that they're going to, you know, cross the border and then they want, you know, X, Y, and Z. You have to do something. You, the inaction would be much worse than than any action. And as long as they're down there, you know, to assist the border patrol in that capacity, uh, I have no problem with it. But we we definitely need to hey, keep Joe, our. Joe, let's think about this a minute. Let's all just sit back and pull up our chair. My wife's sitting out by the. We got. It's, it's in here in Ohio. It's cold, believe it or not. And she's got a, no, it's here she's sitting too. up snuggled by the fire, listening to the night. And just just try to try to think. If America were to go under, really, I mean, that's hard for us to believe. But let's say the rapture doesn't occur and America goes under. Who's going to be the beacon of light to the world? So if I was anti-Christ, if I was against the things of God, what nation would you most want to be able to bring down? And I don't think there's any doubt what nation that might be. And, you know, we can talk all we want to about the judgment of God upon us and, you know, uh, why should God bless America and all that. But the reality of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ is still going forth from the great old, good old U.S. of A. And if, if I were the devil, as Paul Harvey said, well, I'd sure have my sights on trying to bring America down, do whatever I could to tear it apart from the inside. And I believe that many, many of us do not fully understand the depth of evil that is assaulting the foundational principles of this country. And it, it comes out in many, many different uh, shapes and many, many different forms. And sometimes we think it's, yeah, well, it's the Democrat or it's the progressives or, you know, Joe, I, I tell people, no, it ain't. It's, it's the devil. <laughs> There's a devil loose. Now, people think I'm crazy. But I, I don't care, brother. I got this thing pretty well mapped out of who these two teams really are. And some call themselves Republicans and some call themselves Democrats. But really, your Lord said there's only two teams. The Lord said there's my team, seed of, the, uh, seed of the woman, and there's the devil's team, the seed of the serpent. And that battle has been going on forever. And uh, they want nothing more than to be able to destroy Christianity. They're not going to succeed at it. But they're, they're, they're putting, uh, putting all their chips in, I think, right now. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. And it's a spiritual battle first and foremost. Everything else is secondary to that. And it's the battle first and foremost for our souls. And, and the souls of believers uh, are at the top of that list. And uh, transitioning from the, the border battle to what we're seeing with YouTube. We had the shooting yesterday. And uh, it turns out this was somebody who was a disgruntled YouTube user who had their accounts demonetized and went off the rails and went on a shooting. But then there's the other side of this, the censorship side. True mm-hmm. News recently was the latest victim of having Maybe. their their channel shut down. Uh, how, do you think this is going to continue, this trend of censorship? I think they're going to do it the best that they can, uh, Joe. And that's, that's why uh, one of the things that, well, that we're trying to do with our conference here in Canton coming up, trying to trans... Let me transition there a second. As you know, I just came back from the one that the, the Hear the Watchman conference in Dallas, and it, it was it was good. All these conferences are really, really good. But here's what I what I I see more and more when I go to these things, uh, Joe, 
Doug. I see, imagine a picture of a stick man. We know what a stick man looks like. It's a, it's a man with a great big head and a real little stick body. And that's, that's what I'm seeing is happening right now to what I call the remnant body of Christ. We've got all this head knowledge, and we go to conferences, and we learn more and more and more. But yet we are very, we've just got little skinny little bodies and little skinny little spirit men because we aren't doing anything with the knowledge that we've been given. So when we came up with the idea of Occupy 2018, our plan was not only to bring information, but to bring action plans, bring things that were people. See, Doug, we're not going to overthrow the, the deep state. I'm not. Doug Hagman's not. Joe, Joe might, but you and I aren't going to do it, Doug. And that's, I, but I can have an impact right here where I live, down here in central Ohio. I can make a difference here. All politics are local. And so if we, we know, you go hear Russ Dizdar speak, and he's a fascinating speaker, and he'll talk about the MK Ultras and, you know, sex slaves and all that, and you see it, man, that's going on. But the reality of it is, I really can't do a whole lot about that. I need to be aware of it, because it might show up in my community, but I can't get myself focused just on that. And L.A. Marzulli come in, and he'll talk about the uh, the Nephilim and the Giants and all the stuff that he's discovered, and that's all really good. And maybe the Giants are coming back, and you know. But I can't do anything about that if they are. I I can't I have no power over that, but I have power locally here and what's going on here, and I can begin to impact my church and my community with the information that I have. And that's why, you know, we're bring we're bringing a little different aspect. We had L.A. coming in, and we got uh, Russ Dizdar coming in, and Pastor Paul Begley, and and uh, Mike Spalding, and we, we got all the favorite guys, but we're bringing in a guy that nobody's ever heard of, a guy named Mark Trump, who is an expert on artificial intelligence and cyber snooping and exactly what they're doing with the Internet to do, Doug and Joe, exactly what you guys are talking about, to try to silence us, to try to capture all of our data. We don't we, Most of us don't really have a great understanding of what, what that is, and so he's going to explain, you know, what, you're, what they're capturing on your cell phone or what you have to be careful for. And then we're bringing in another guy, Doug, this is, this is, a, this is a, a blow your mind. I, that, folks are not going to be ready for this guy. His name's David Arthur. He lived 30 years as a transsexual, if you can believe that, and got radically saved on his deathbed. And he is so on fire for, for Christ. But Doug and Joe, he has the homosexual agenda. He's, he was in it. He knows what it is. He knows how it's operating and what's going on and what we need to look for and how they're coming after our kids. And see, I like this mixture of that kind of stuff with the L.A. and with the with the uh, 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 Russ Dizdar and with all those guys. I, I just think the combination of bringing these all things together, say, guys, look at this. This is the game plan. Look what the devil's doing to us here. Let's be prepared and let's get to work and let's build a downline right where we are that we're going to be able to stand and fight for those that we, that, that we love. And then I, and, I try to tell folks, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. And, and Coach, you're in the middle of this huddle. The way I look at the uh, the way I look at Occupy 2018, you, Coach, are in the middle of this huddle. You are. Um, you've got the players. You've got the, uh, uh, the, the 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 people together. And, and Occupy is not a passive term, nor no. was it ever meant to be. So you, you, information and action combined for this conference, which is a lot different than, than just an information. It, it, it kind of like a, a seminar rally and instructional, um, uh, uh, all put together, an instructional. Instruction, uh, and, Doug, what, what we also want to do, we found that these conferences, and 
folks, Doug and Joe and John Robertson, they're all going to be there. You get to, you can look them in the eye and shake their hand and tell them how much you appreciate them and find out what down to earth real guys these guys really, really are. They are exactly what you see. They're going to, they're going to be there. But Doug, I, you know that my heart has been for the four years that, that we've been associated with each other. I want to put a team together, Doug. And what, one of the magical things that happens at these conferences is people begin to network. We find out that many people who come to these conferences, number one, they've dropped out of church. They don't go to church. Uh, you are their church in many cases, Doug, or, or Dave Hodge, or somebody, or somebody like you guys are their church, or Pastor Langford who's coming up. By the way, say hi to him for me. God bless him. I'd love to have him be part of our event. But th- these, people are, these people are isolated and alone. And a magic happens when they come together and they find people, Doug, sometimes right in their own hometown who are at the event that they had no idea that this other person was alive and awake. And so the, 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 the magic of it is the, these people coming together, and we want to be able to get them in, into groups of, of different localities, maybe those people who live in the eastern or western part of Pennsylvania and another group that live down in the Canton, Ohio area, and a group that lives over there near Pittsburgh, and get them so that at least they can network with each other so they won't feel like they are so isolated. And that, to me, is the ma- Doug, folks just got to trust me on this. I've been to do a few of these things, and this is the magic that is missing, and that, that is putting the team together. Not just seeing the game plan, but putting the team together in order to be able to fight the battle. That's why we're so excited about it. In fact, we got very few uh, hotel rooms left at, at the uh, Canton Courtyard where it's being held. Uh, very few rooms there. Now, there are other hotels that you can get, but there's a good rate. Uh, we have tickets left for people to get in, but we're running out of rooms at that hotel. So if people want to get in, they need to do it in, in a hurry. And then I'm going to get in trouble, Doug. I'm, I know I am, but I'm going to, I'm going to say this, to, uh, as I said on another show. I'm going to get in trouble with some of the guys I'm working with. If somebody brings their pastor, he gets in free. We think it is so critical for our pastors to come to these events and get their eyes opened and see and understand what's going on. So if you're listening right now and you and your husband want to come and you would love to get your pastor to come, if you get your pastor to come, he is on us. We think it is that important. Well, that's awesome, Coach. And I don't know if you if, remember in Montana at the the Whitestone Conference where they had yes, in each corner of the room they had uh, geographical yes. areas set up and board set up so you could go yes, meet people who were from. And that is one of the best things about the conferences because it's it's all well and good. I mean, people if they want to hear us talk, they can uh, go on YouTube, they can go on our platforms, our websites, uh, download our podcast, and and hear us talk and and on other shows on our own shows. What really is great about the conferences is the fellowship and the networking, and that's what really needs to happen on a on a huge level, uh, because as you said, people don't have churches, and they they feel abandoned by the church as the churches have abandoned the scriptures, and they are looking we, for I, other life. They feel lost. They feel alone. I'm telling you, Joe. We uh, not we. I don't mean it to sound that way. There will be connections made by people who end up this thing. You know, somebody's listening to me right now saying, why would I come, Why would I want to come to that thing? What the heck is there for me? Well, I'm telling you, if you come there, you're going to find out that you are connected. We we hear people talk a lot about the remnant church. Well, brothers and sisters, this, they're going to be here. This is this is where they're, they're coming. And if you're out there and you're one of those people that's alone and isolated and 
you know, just feel, feel like you've got the red pill and everybody else takes the blue one and nobody understands you, I would I would just encourage you to try to get there because you're going to run into a bunch of like-minded people who are going to not laugh at you when you talk about the things that, that, that you've noticed about the world and about church. They're going to say, yeah, me too, and you're going to make, uh, you're going to make some real friends. And we're going to do the best we can to try to organize uh, those folks in regions and areas so at least they know who each other are and can uh, begin to do some type of fellowship together. Yeah, and, and that's really what it what it is all about. And it's uh, one thing to interact in chat rooms and whatnot. It's a whole other thing when you get to meet people face to face and make that real connection. Coach, we only have a a few minute le- a few minutes left in the segment. Anything that we didn't get a chance to talk to, talk about? You want to get into? No, I just think that uh, you, you know <laughs> it's the fourth quarter. Now, I'm, now listen. I'm not saying it's the fourth quarter in regards to Jesus' coming. I hear a lot of people like to, you know, they, they like to set their clocks by that. Well, how close is it? And, you know, is it coming next week? When's it going to be? I, I'm telling you this, guys. I believe it's the fourth quarter for the good old U.S. of A. Now, I don't know what's going to happen beyond America. If something happens that, that America, as we know it, uh, if, we, if, we, if we slip and fall, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the end time I don't even know what the end times are or what the end times are even going to look like, but I can tell you that the struggle right now for a, a, for Western civilization in regards to America is real. You guys, I can't imagine what comes across your desk. You see it every day. Your guests come and talk about it every night, and the missing ingredient is those little stick men that we have sitting around in front of their radios or their computers listening to this show who are not engaged in the battle. That's what we want to try to do, give them the head knowledge and connect them to a team to try to make a difference right where they live. And you can do it, brother. And, and, and everyone listening, folks, please try to uh, attend. Uh, do it now. Occupy 2018. Coach Dave Dalmar himself, it's worth the uh, 20-hour drive if you have to make it just to listen to Coach Dave Dalmar himself because he's such a, 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 a just a great unifier and a great coach uh, in this fight that we're in. So I, I just want to say thank you because, and this is unlike others. I mean, this is. Look, we're going to be uh, we're going to be on the field, all of us on the field, and yep. rubbing elbows and, and huddling up and making uh, game plans. And there ain't nothing like it, brother. There ain't nothing like right. it, Doug. And you know, when this whole thing winds down for me, I, you know, who knows how long I, I got? You know, it could be any moment, any time for anybody, buddy. I want to I want to be found uh, faithful, standing with a hammer in my hand, trying to rebuild those walls. And and I, I just know that there are literally thousands that are listening right now that. Have that that heart beating inside of them, and uh, Lord needs them. We we need you guys. We need to get you organized and get ready for what we think are going to be probably some unbelievable times coming down the road. Amen. CoachDaveLive.com is the website. Make sure you go there to get your your tickets. And as Coach said, they're running out of the hotel rooms at these specific venues, the one that are offered with a discount. But get your tickets. Uh, book your your trip now if you want to go. Uh, you don't want to wait till the last minute. April twentieth, twenty first. And twenty second in Canton, Ohio. We so and look you know, forward to that, Joe. I'm sorry, the Pro Football Hall of Fame's right there. If you're a football fan, maybe make an extra day and stay and go to the Hope Football Hall of Fame. It's uh, that uh, that alone's worth the trip as well. There it is. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Co- coach, thank you for everything you do. Uh, you're America's coach, that is for sure. The devil knows your name, but you don't care. You're <laughs> kicking butt taking names. Thank you so much. And, and our best to your, your lovely wife as well. Love you guys. I'll see, right. see you here in a couple weeks. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm right back. Folks, you're up. Uh, we're up against the break listening to Hagman Report. Up next, Pastor David Langford. Yeah, it's going to be great. Pastor Langford joins us each Wednesday in Hour 3, and we look forward to his um, inspiring message uh, dealing with the spiritual battle that we continue to talk about, as I'm sure he has a great hour planned coming right up. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on this Wednesday edition. Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. We were just talking here during the break that we thought spring had arrived. But if you are living where we live and you had the snowstorm today and the cold temperatures that have not subsided, you wouldn't think it's winter or spring. It still seems to be winter. But just looking at the weather here, in, in about 10 days, we're going to be hitting the 50s and 60s. So oh, all, I know, all, all I know, at, 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 I was I was made my way to the office at Five o'clock this morning. Well, actually, about quarter to five. I didn't have to go. Just put the car in neutral and point it. Oh, I know the wind was so bad. Let me tell you this. I had by noon today. There was shingles in my lawn from my roof, and one of my screens in my back room. It's a wooden screen that was uh, fashioned to the house, in, unmovable. Was ripped out. I mean, the wood. It was, you thought a tornado came through. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I mean fifty mile an hour, fifty mile an hour wind. Yeah. You know, it's this. This is beyond anything I've, I've seen, and, and the noise at night with the wind going through the hitting the the, the house, and uh, it's just it's just ridiculous. But enough of the weather complaining. I, I suppose we should get right to the spiritual B twelve shot that we all are in so desperate need of, with Pastor David Langford, the Voice of Evangelism dot com. Thank you so much for joining us, Pastor. Great to be with you, gentlemen, tonight, and uh, we're getting some of the same adverse weather down here in the south it's that global warming i suppose yeah yeah, yeah. um okay um no seriously uh, Parker, how how is it down there is it 40s 50s what it's in the 40s going to get in the 30s tonight uh and of course the wind really for the last 10 days we've had just profuse wind uh, i got a little weather a gadget I bought, and uh, it clocks the wind speed. And we, I had a gust uh, last week of 39 miles an hour. So that's a yeah, that's a pretty good gust of wind down here. Uh, I think I think we hit a 52 mile an hour gust today. Um, wow! But but you're looking at some sustained winds uh, for a period of uh, over 25, 30. So yeah, it's just crazy. Wow! It is so, crazy. Man. Hey, I want to begin tonight with a letter that I believe will encourage you and Joe both, Doug, uh, and those listening, and then we'll uh, we'll go to 1 Corinthians 15 tonight. But I want to share this letter because it, it it's just shows how important what you and 
and uh, Joe are doing the platform and how you're using it uh, because this letter was a really astounding letter. I'm just going to use the gentleman's initials, MD. I dare not say where he's from after I read the letter. Uh, you'll understand why. I don't want to get him in any kind of trouble. But said, Pastor Langford, thank you, sir, for the work you do for God's kingdom. I'm thoroughly enjoying your current teaching on Romans chapter 8. It has cleared up so much for me, I get an immense amount of knowledge and understanding from these in-depth teachings. Thank you, sir. It's been about two weeks now since I have smoked a joint. If I wouldn't have completely stopped, I would have continued to fool myself by saying it's not affecting me and it's not a problem. However, now that I have quit, my vessel is experiencing major withdrawal symptoms. I had been smoking weed for the past 22 years, and I have been growing large amounts for the past 16 years. Last few years, I grew roughly 2,000 plants a year, a bit less than 1,000 outdoor, and a bit more than 1,000 indoor. It was after hearing about the Podesta email leaks that I started seeking truth, which led me to the Hagman Report, which led me to you. I was sitting alone in my trim room, processing area, when I first heard you speaking the Word of God, and I was brought to a tearful repentance and was born again. Thank you so much. That's when I began to shut down my operation, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for his patience. At the time, may have been smoking a dozen or more joints a day, so I began to wean myself off, and now I have totally quit. It was when I heard you preach on Acts 2.17, and that verse says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour of my spirit upon all flesh. I completely knew then I had to quit. When a person smokes weed, as I did, it, it blocked me from having dreams. And now that I have quit, my dreams are back with a vengeance. After a bit of research, I have found that my vessel will or should normalize in about 60 days. Uh, lucky for me, I'm stubborn and that I have the Lord as my strength. I'm having some crazy nights and my head is sore and fuzzy, but I will get through this no problem at all. And again, he wanted to say thank you for all that's being said and done. He alludes to the fact that the uh, the endocannaboid, uh, this, that the government weed that they're uh, growing or selling, I should say, the growing and selling, uh, believes it's going to do more harm to the people uh, than, than the other because he, he feels like, we're, you know, the people that are involved in that are being um, treated like mice. But I just wanted to share that little letter tonight uh, to let you, uh, Doug and Joe, both know that your work and labor of love is not in vain. Uh, God is using you to bring people to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's the difference of uh, the power of the Holy Spirit when he is in something and when he is not. That's the difference. You know, I, I, I thought about myself uh, we're a small ministry, very small, but yet we get these reports constantly of people giving their lives to the Lord. And just like that, gentlemen, 2,000 plants uh, is a lot of money. That's why I wouldn't give his name or where he's from or anything. We don't want to get him in trouble. But that's the power of conviction, genuine Holy Ghost, spirit-filled conviction that causes people to change. And... Uh, 
that's why the gospel has the power to change people's lives. And that's why the churches are so impotent. The preachers are so impotent because they don't preach the word. Uh, I, they really preach what I call psychology. Uh, they're just motivational speakers, and they don't understand that they're ministering and preaching to people who have eternal souls, and those souls are going to spend eternity somewhere. And uh, their job is to preach a message that would cause them to repent, just like this brother. And he understood the conviction of God. He had to destroy those elements in his life. He couldn't leave you know, room or place for the devil to continue that stronghold. So he had to sever all of his ties. I told someone the other day, when I gave my heart to the Lord, came back to him in 1978, I had a, a Harley Davidson, I had a 69 Chevelle, and I had to get rid of all of those things because they were such a great attachment to the past. And your past will hold you hostage if you try to hold on to the past. And uh, I, I sold the motorcycle, I sold the car, and bought me a 73 a Pontiac Catalina with electric seats, electric windows, and cruise control. And uh, I had to change my whole lifestyle because what people don't understand, when God gives you anything, most of the time you have to change what you're doing to keep it or you'll forfeit it. You just can't go back and dabble or play with the things of the past because they have the propensity to snare the soul and draw the soul back. It's like rock and roll music. You know, I can be channel surfing on the radio or uh, satellite and hear an old song, uh, and it will remind me of a place and time in my life. I'm not here to castigate or criticize anyone, but it will remind me of a, a particular place, a state of my life, uh, because that, that's what the past does. And these things of the past draw us into that if we're not careful, and having been drawn into that, uh, that's why we use the term backsliding, going back the other way. And it is a process, and regretfully it is an intentional process. Many would say, well, I, I didn't mean to get there. But intentionally, we fail to read the Bible. Intentionally, we fail to pray. Those are the two things that every person must do if they're going to keep their personal victory. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray. The question was one time asked to an old-time preacher, and the parishioner said, what's the most important thing, prayer or fasting? Or excuse me, prayer or the Bible? And the old minister's response was, what's the most important to a bird, his left wing or his right wing? You've got to have both of them to fly. And you've got to have both prayer and you've got to have the Word of God in your life. And if you don't have those in your life, you're, you're not going to succeed. It takes two wings, even on a, uh, a man-made airplane, to fly. And so... This is where we get in trouble when we neglect those two areas in our personal life. We must pray. We must read our Bible because the Word of God is the medium that God uses to tell us about Himself and to tell us how we ought to live and the things we ought to do. 
and uh, yet so many people failed to read the Bible. Well, Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, and uh, I never allude to the term Easter, even though it is in the Scriptures in Acts chapter 12. I was amazed uh, in my driving around in my community, and uh, I had to go to Hickory as well over the weekend uh, with my mother-in-law, and I, every church sign that I saw but one, and I would, I would not be afraid to say I saw 15 to 20 church signs. Every one of them talked about Easter bunnies and Easter eggs, and only one mentioned the resurrection. And that showed me the state and condition of the church. It's not about Easter eggs. It's not about bunny rabbits. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I want to look at some of these scriptures tonight because they're so important to Christianity. Uh, the, the only and most major component that makes Christianity unlike any other, and I hate to use the word religion, but everything else is a religion. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Jesus Christ is salvation. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Some time ago I was teaching, and I was talking about how Satan can mimic everything that God has ever done fundamentally except raise the dead. And it hit me when I said it, why Satan cannot mimic the resurrection. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection. It is not uh, an object or, or a subject. Christ Jesus himself is the personification of the resurrection. Martha said, I know that my brother Lazarus shall rise in the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He wanted her to understand, you are looking at the resurrection. He was the embodiment of the resurrection. So Paul, in this great summary, uh, 1 Corinthians, is trying to convey this message to the people why Christ must be preached, and must be preached that he rose from the dead. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.14 that through death he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. How was Christ able to destroy the power of the devil? Was through the resurrection. First uh, John 3.8 says, He that sinneth from the beginning will see death. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. God through Jesus Christ was manifested for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. Now, death reigned supreme till the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why in Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. The reason he used the phraseology keys is because keys are symbolic of authority. So Jesus, through the resurrection, usurped that authority that Satan had gotten from Adam when he caused Adam to fall. So the last Adam, which was Jesus Christ, defeated the devil in every sense of the word. And so Paul said, we've got to preach Jesus, and we've got to preach the resurrection, because he says if Christ is not risen, everything that we do is in vain. Now think about all the time and the labor and the effort that goes into your programming, Doug. All the all the preparation, all the study, all the time, the bills, the 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 staff, everything that is done, we do fundamentally based on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said here in verse thirteen, but if there be no resurrection of the dead then is Christ not risen? In other words, there were those who were saying that that Christ was not risen. But if you'll back up here in verse 6, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6 says, After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So, uh, uh, Paul uh, was telling them that uh, Jesus was seen by Cephas, and Cephas is always Peter the Apostle, and, and the other uh, apostles, but also uh, above 500 brethren saw him personally, and Paul said most of them are alive to this day. They've not died yet, but they've witnessed the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. So Paul says if Christ, in verse 14, is not risen, then is our preaching vain. Uh, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 6 and 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered, and ye do minister to the saints. Our work and our labor of love, and that's what it is many times, because we don't get uh, justly, fairly compensated for all the hours that we put in, and, 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 and what you do in, in your programming and talk show, what I do in ministry, because we spend an enormous amount of time uh, in, in these efforts. 
And so the reason we do that is because we know there is a day coming if we die, or Paul doesn't use the term die for the Christian. They go to sleep. The Christian just goes to sleep. The sinner dies and has what Paul called the sting of death there in 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. He said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The child of God merely goes to sleep. Uh, I've witnessed Christian people dying, and it was so placid, it was so peaceful. Uh, They had this look in their eyes that they could see as though angelic beings were coming to usher them out of their body and to the presence of God. And then regretfully, I've seen sinner men who did not know God and die. And I'm telling you, it's it's totally different. I have a, a friend whose wife is a hospice nurse, and she finally quit it. She said, I couldn't stand it anymore. She said, it was a joy. It was comforting to be there and witness as Christian people died, who, who she knew personally or whatever the case might be. But she said, I've seen all of the death of sinful people I want to see because it's turmoil. And it began to affect her emotionally to witness the, the laboring, the intensity of the labor. And, and that's, where, that's what Paul's talking about, the sting of death. The Greek says it's like a goad. Uh, a, 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 a huge goad piercing the soul and it stings the soul the spirit of man why because that soul and that spirit has not been washed in the blood of the lamb and been made clean and so that's that power of death that was that was the significance of the the passover for he said when i see the blood i will pass over you that death angel had no right had absolutely no right whatsoever to enter into anyone's home where the blood was applied to the doorpost and the door lintel. And there were Egyptian people in some of those Hebrew huts and cottages and conclaves. And they too were saved. Why? Because they were behind the door where the blood had been applied and the death angel passed over them because God has no respect for persons. And so when you, you see, you talk to people who deal uh with people who are dying and going out into eternity, those but this lady's a Christian. Uh, this is why it affected her so negatively. She said, because I just can't take any more of this. Uh, and it's hard in those times, I know, uh, to try to tell somebody about Jesus, uh, to try to lead them to Christ. It's, it's a miracle. It is an absolute divine miracle that after people reach the age of 70 or older that they ever come to the knowledge of Christ. Their hearts become hard, they become calloused. Uh, You know, I've heard men, especially when I was younger, uh, in my early 30s as a pastor, and I would hear men take God's name in vain and, and just use such vulgar language, and I would see them in their 70s and even 80s, and uh, I, just the other day I heard a man, he's got cancer, he's an alcoholic, and he was cursing unbelievably. He was actually with my brother-in-law. And, and I'm thinking, sir, you are about to enter into eternity, and, and your language is so vile. Uh, 
It is so horrific. It, it begs the scripture. But see, there's no fear of God. You know, the, this is why we have a true fear and a true reverence of God, because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And, and of course, Paul the Apostle told us in Romans three, eighteen, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, a wholesome fear of God keeps me from doing things like that, because I fear God. I, I understand there is a heaven to gain, and there's a hell to shun, that eternity is real. Eternity is real. And every one of us are, are dying, slowly but surely. Every person listening tonight, your body is decaying. It's deteriorating little by little by little. And we're either going to go out into eternity with God or without God. And, and God has made provision through his son, Jesus Christ, through the resurrection. So Paul said, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. In other words, if, if Christ did not rise from the dead, my preaching, your programming, Doug and Joe, is worthless. That's what the word vain means, worthless. Most of us have vanity mirrors in our automobiles or in our trucks, and we pull the sun visor down and we check out how we look. And that's why it's called a vanity mirror, uh, because a vain person is looking into that mirror. The point is, our preaching, your programming, your efforts, they are not in vain. That one letter I read tonight, that one person that got convicted on your on your program, uh, Joe, your program, the conviction of God, overwhelmed his heart to repent and, and to get rid of 2,000 marijuana plants. I have no idea how much money that is, because uh, I've not been in that world since the mid-'70s. But I'm sure in today's economy, that's, that's a lot of money. And no doubt the devil probably tempted him and said, hey, are you kidding me? Look at all that money you're, you're going to throw away. You're going to waste. But you see, when people make a commitment to Christ, and they make that genuine commitment, they don't care about looking back. They, they want to forget all of that stuff, because all of those things, for the most part, ruin us. They harm us. They hinder us. They, they, they destroy us. If, 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 if a person could ever see the finality of sin, there would be no question as to whether they would quit living in sin. Satan will never show you the heinous carnage and wreckage. Never. Never will he let you see that. Because he knows if you could see that and witness that, you'd say, man, there's no way I'm going down that path. It's not worth it. So Paul said not only would our, our preaching, our programming, not only would that be in vain, but our faith. Our faith in believing in a living God would be in vain, would be worthless. There's something innate within every human being that knows there is a higher power, there's a higher deity. And, and, and I'm not like... Uh, the Alcoholic Anonymous, that you can make anything your higher power. That's about as cynical as it gets. That is the personification of idolatry. That's like fabricating, making something with your own hands, and then you turn around and you say, that is my higher power. How can that be? You made it. 
you, you're the one that made it. You fabricated it. Whether you molded it as a potter would in pottery, or you welded it together, you fabricated it through a press break, or whatever the case might be, injection molding, uh, whatever it might be, uh, you made it. And why would you then turn around and declare that to be your higher power? The highest power of all is Jesus Christ. And we believe in him, though we cannot see him, we believe he is genuine. We believe he is real. We, we know because we have a witness in our hearts. Second uh, Corinthians 4 and 18, Paul said, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that we cannot see, the things that we cannot lay hold to with our physical hands, those are the things that are eternal. And then Paul tells us in Romans 8 and verse 11, but if the Spirit of Him, talking about the Holy Spirit, that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Paul is assuring the believer, the church at Rome. He's saying, listen, if the Spirit of God that raised the lifeless dead body of Jesus Christ from the dead, if that Spirit lives in you, that same Spirit will quicken, will bring back to life your mortal body. But if you go on and read this 15th chapter of Corinthians, you'll find that we no longer are mortal, but we are immortal. We are no longer corruptible, but we are incorruptible. It is a body that is unbelievable. That was, that was what was so amazing to the disciples. In uh, Luke chapter 24, when Jesus appeared, unto them and he just as he appeared to them in, in this room he just appeared suddenly and he said peace be unto you but the Bible said they were terrified they were frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit and his response Christ's response to them was why are ye troubled why do thoughts arise in your hearts behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And then the Bible said he showed them his hands and his feet, and, and they believed. Jesus Christ declared himself to be of a physical stature, flesh and bone, not, not a spirit that was like Casper the Friendly Ghost, but he said, a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as you see me have. Now, this is a totally different kind of flesh that you and I have yet to witness. This is a celestial body. This is a, a heavenly body, a glorified body. It'll be a body just like the one Jesus Christ had. You know, I, I don't know that if if you if you're raised, uh, that your body will look like you were 30 years of age or still at 70, but if it, if you died at 100, you, your, your body will be glorified in every sense of the word. So you would be just as uh, vibrant and as, as, as alive as a, as a 10-year-old child. It's something that we 
we struggle as human beings. I was telling someone the other day, we were talking about God. And uh, I said, it's amazing how we as finite humans try to define an infinite God, trying to describe God. There's no way that any man, I don't care even Hawkins, who's gone out into eternity, brilliant as he may have been as a human being, he was an atheist. He did not believe in God. I promise you, he knows there is a God. And the sad thing is, he didn't get a new body. That same diseased, soiled, sullied body that he lived in, that's the same body he has, spiritually speaking, to this moment. Because the, the dead that die in their sins, they do not get a new body, but the redeemed of the Lord are going to get a new body. And this is why Paul said, and if Christ be not risen, then is your preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. The, the reason I pray is because I have faith that God is hearing and answering my prayers. The reason I read my Bible, I believe it gives me instruction and leadership and guidance in my life. And, and there's some of you tonight listening to me, and I sense this in my spirit, that you, you're going through a very grave and difficult trial. I spoke last week about sifting. Matter of fact, I, I wrote a newsletter on that today. I don't know when I'll release the newsletter, but I wrote a whole newsletter on sifting time, threshing time, going to the threshing floors. It's where the, the, the wheat is, is beaten and the chaff, the husk, is removed from it. And then it's thrown up into the air. It's winnowed, and the wind drives the chaff away. And right now, some of you listening are in a a very great trial, a very great test. And as I was thinking about that today, Doug, you remember when we were in school, when we would have a test or an exam, the teacher would pass out the test, and then she would forewarn us, don't raise your hands, I'm not going to answer any questions, I've already prepared you, start the test. And while we were taking the test, she was walking around the room, watching, observing. I've been like most hard heads, would raise my hand, and she'd just shake her head, no. I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not coming to your test. And I thought about God. Sometimes when we're in the, a place of testing, a place of sifting, guess where God is? He's right there in the room. You raise your hand. He doesn't respond. You try to get his attention. He doesn't respond, but yet he's there. He's watching. Why? Because when the test is being taken, there's supposed to be silence. Even God is silent. God was silent with Job. Job was wanting a... a, 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 a a conference with God. He, he wanted a meeting with God. And yet God remained silent for so long, for such a lengthy period. And sometimes we find ourselves in that same situation, going, a, going through a grueling, very grueling, arduous test. 
and you're crying out, you're raising your hand, you're beckoning with your hand to get God's attention, hey, just like the school teacher, God is right there. But he says, this is a test. Now you have to trust me. Do you have enough Bible hid in your heart that you can trust me and get through this test? David said in Psalms 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So when the temptation, the test, the trial comes, there's enough of God's word, enough of knowledge of God in your heart that you don't have to capitulate, surrender, give up, give in, and sin. But you can be still and know that God is God. Psalms 4610 says, Be still and know that I am God. I have a a tendency to want to push things. I have a tendency, my nature is to make things happen. I'm a go-getter. I, I, I work hard. I'm diligent. I, I make things happen. That can be good on one side. It can be very dangerous on the other side because what you do, you're trying to superimpose your will and yourself over what God has already predetermined for your life. And you're trying to superimpose your will and yourself over God, and that's never, ever any good and I heard the best definition of ego I have ever heard in my life the other night from Jim Caviezel. And it was it's so apropos, especially in this hour, ego, edging God out. Edging God out. Slowly but surely, men who begin to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit begin to edge God. God out, and before long, God is out of your life. And then your life is so perplexed, so tumultuous, so, so much of a, of, a, of a tempest, and we got there regretfully because we edged God out. You know, an ego is a dangerous thing. It is a very dangerous thing, and I will say this, including myself, all of us, Everyone listening tonight, all of us have too much ego, too much pride. And the Bible says in James 4, 6, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we could just somehow, you know, throttle down our ego and throttle down our pride and say, God, I'm going to trust you. You see, God always knows what's best. I, I know I don't, but sometimes I can be so blockheaded, so hard-headed, I'm still going to go in the direction I set myself to. I preached a message years ago, be careful where you pitched or where you pitch your tent. Be careful where you pitch your tent. Because the Bible says when Abraham said to Lot, take any any direction you want to go, and I'll take the other direction. And the grass was greener towards Sodom and Gomorrah. So the Bible said that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham's portion was not in the land. Abraham's portion was in Jehovah. And we all know the sordid and dysfunctionality that began to pervade and permeate Lot's wife himself and his daughters. They slept with their dad. Lot lost his wife. She looked back. She became a pillar of salt. 
supply. Ego, pride, I I want this. You know that iitis is a is a terrible disease of of, of the mind. Iitis. It's it's about me, but it should always be about Jesus Christ. So when you find yourself in this tumultuous place, don't edge God out. Become more vulnerable to God. And that, that that's really hard for men especially to do because, you know, men don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, they don't want to uh, look like they're weak. Uh, you know, meekness is not weakness. The Bible said that uh, uh, Moses... Uh, in the book of Numbers, I believe it's chapter 12, verse 3, was the meekest man in all of the earth. Meekness is not a sign of weakness. Meekness is a sign of a man that's under control, and he's trusting God to take care of everything that he's confronted with. So many times we don't trust God for anything. We don't trust God for anything. We want to do it ourselves. And this is what produces the vanity and, and the lack of faith, the lack of belief. And if we don't allow God to be the God of our lives, we can profess with our mouths we have the faith, but then in our hearts are full of vanity, worthless whatever. Let me go on back to the first Corinthians 15 and 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Paul said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, I'm a false witness. In other words, I'm a liar. If I tonight declare, and I do declare emphatically, Christ Jesus is raised from the dead, because I am not going to lie. I know the truth. I know that Jesus Christ lives. People say, how do you know he lives? How do you know he is just not some uh, fictitious person, because I have something in my heart that bears witness. Romans 8 and 16 says, the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit is life. Spirit is life. When a man's spirit leaves his body, he's dead. Leaves a woman's body, she's dead. When we become born again, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit of Christ comes into our hearts. Now think about that. God now lives inside of man. That was, that was the great miracle of the immaculate conception, how that God would reconcile man back to himself. Because now man, by God breathing into his nostrils, man became a living soul. He had a God particle in him now. And the devil was certain because man now had a God particle. There would be no way for God to redeem that. So in the beginning, God made man in his image and in his likeness. But to reconcile man back to himself, he made his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and the likeness of sinful men, though Jesus was not sinful. Second Corinthians 5.21 said, for he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ did not ever know sin as you and I know it. But he became sin. 
and died for our sins that we might be made the righteousness of God. If people could only understand that we have absolutely no part in our redemption or in our salvation, nothing. And that's only God could conceive a plan of salvation as he did before the foundations of the world. Before he ever created the heaven and the earth, he already knew in, in his foreknowledge that Adam and Eve would fail and would sin. But God had already provided provision, made provision for redemption. And of course, that's how he really tricked the devil. You see, had the devil known who Jesus really was, if the devil had really known that, that, that Jesus Christ was God, he would have not have killed him. But he didn't know it. First Corinthians 2 and 8 says, Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is why you hear me always use the term, God always outguns the devil. This was, this, this was a mystery that was beyond any mystery. Paul, Paul with rapidity, speaks of mystery after mystery after mystery. This is just another mystery that God had showed him. And that's why he said, which none of the princes of this world, it, the powers of the darkness of the rulers of this world, had they known that Jesus was the Lord's Christ, they would not have crucified him. But they didn't know it. They thought they were just killing a good man who was going about doing good things. Paul said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then, then I am a false witness. And of course, Paul was not a false witness. Neither am I a false witness. Jesus Christ does live in my heart. He lives in my life. And I have the witness. A witness is a testimony. A witness is someone who has seen. And that's why Paul uses that term. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I have a witness in my personal spirit by the presence of God's Spirit living in my earthen vessel. That's a witness. That is a testimony. That is a confirmation. That is an affirmation that I am a child of God. That's, what, that's by all by faith. But once, once you are born again, you know in your heart, it's, it's some, you don't have a certificate, uh, you don't have a letter of authenticity, uh, you know, it's just a, a, a faith in God that I am forgiven of my sins, and I am sealed by the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that dwells in us is also the same Spirit that seals us. Uh, Ephesians 1 and 13, Paul said, And whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The devil can't break the seal. But the tragic thing is, men can break the seal. Remember, they sealed the tomb on Jesus. And they put four quadrants of soldiers down to watch it, to guard it. They said, lest they come and steal his body, and they feign a resurrection. Because he said destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, guess what? The stone was rolled away, the seal was broken, and he walked out of that tomb. You and I have the ability to walk out of our relationship with Christ, but we, we don't want to. We want to stay sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. So Paul said, 
now that after you have believed, you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4.30, Paul said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until that day of redemption. Now, he's not talking about the redemption of the Spirit. The Spirit of man has already been redeemed. He's talking about the redemption of the body. See, the body is yet to be redeemed. So he says there in Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed until that day of redemption. Because my body has not been redeemed yet. Now, if I die, and as Paul always says about the, the righteous, the Christians, when they die, he said, they just go to sleep. They, they, just, they, just, they just went on to be asleep. Uh, he said there again in 1 Corinthians 15 and 6, After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. I mean, you know, sleep is a wonderful thing as you get older. It's, it's harder to get eight hours of sleep. But Paul said, they've just gone to sleep. But they'll be awakened in the resurrection. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. If, if, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, Paul is saying, we have no opportunity to be raised either. But because there are literally hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw him raised from the dead, we have this certainty that we too, if we die before Christ returns, we too will be raised from the dead. And then he says in verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins. But we know better. We're not in our sins. Because he has taken the sins away. Then he says in verse 18, and he's, he's prefacing this, but, but everything he said previously, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Or in other words, the Christians, the purported Christians who had faith in God, they have fallen asleep in Christ. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, they're lost too. They're perished. And then he concludes in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What is he saying there? If all I have is my rhetoric, my speech, my jargon about this so-called living Jesus... If, if all I have is Jesus in this present world, I'm still full of misery. I'm still full of sorrow. I'm still full of pain. Why? Because I have no hope. I would be pretending. I would be feigning. I would be saying, declaring something that's erroneous. That's a falsehood. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, if I just... Can, can just talk about it, but it not be a reality, then I'm just a, a babbler. That's what they accuse Paul of being, a, a babbler. Well, that's all I would be, is a vain babbler, just running my mouth. But Paul confirms it in verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. In the old day, you, you, you got your seed from the previous year's harvest, you kept seed 
to plan again for the next year. That's why I won't get into this tonight, but that's why the seed is so significant. If you'll go back to Genesis and creation, when God created everything, the Bible said he put seed in it. Why? The, for the purpose of the reproduction. Apples, pears, peaches, everything has seed in it. Why? That it might reproduce itself. Men have seed. He said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So this seed is, 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 is where the life is assured. I wanna, I'm going to jump ahead, those of you that are with me in your Bible tonight. Go to verse 37. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. What's, what's Paul saying there? All of those of you that have ever farmed any at all, and you've sown a green bean, you have sown a squash seed, you have sown a cucumber seed, you have sown a corn seed. Think in your mind now about what that seed looked like. A corn seed is hard, kind of shriveled up, because most of it's hybrid seed today anyway. But you put that seed in the ground. You put it in the ground one way, but it does not come up that way. It's hard to believe you can put that kernel of grain of corn in the ground and in six weeks you have a beautiful lush green statue stalk of corn with three or four ears of corn with hundreds of kernels of corn grain on those cobs now think about what I'm saying that's not what you sowed that's not what you saw yourself sow but that's what came up out of the ground after you sowed it and so this is why Paul's talking about we are sown, jump on down to first, verse 42, First Corinthians 15 and 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. You know, having preached scores of funerals, you, you see the deterioration, the withering away of the person's body, uh, the, the texture of the skin, et cetera, et cetera. And you go out to the gravesite, and you know, you read some scripture, and you pray, and, and they bury the person. When that person comes up in the resurrection, they will not be like they were when they went in the ground. And all of this is based on the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's half of the blessed hope. We talk about the blessed hope, Colossians, uh, excuse me, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Christ Jesus. Half of the blessed hope is the resurrection. 
And so, no matter what you're facing tonight, you don't have to live a life of misery, but you can live a life of perpetual hope, knowing that in the end, Jesus Christ will return, and you will be raised and receive an immortal, incorruptible body, just like the body that Jesus Christ was raised with. But he said, touch me, handle me, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. It's an amazing thing. So all of our faith, all of the preaching, all of the laboring, all of the hours of work are because we believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I hope somebody was ministered to and encouraged tonight by this. Amen. Absolutely, Pastor. I just have one question for you. Sure. Yeah, and you referenced Paul when you said if they had known he was Christ, they wouldn't have crucified him. And uh, right. I just had a question on to it isn't when uh Jesus went to the tombs and the men were possessed by mm-hmm. the devils, didn't they say, Christ, did you come to Or that come here to torment us before our time? Yeah. And he he forbade them to to they made them hold their peace. And okay. that's why he would he would heal people and say, Don't 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 go tell anybody, but they would go and tell. But that's why he asked in Matthew 16, the disciples, he said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. See, they didn't know for sure who he really was, because there had never been a man like this man. Even even in the, uh, so when, the seven... Even sorry, when the devil, even when the devil took Jesus up to the mountain, says, if, you're, if you are the Son of God, turn That's this right. rock into... Jesus never revealed himself. You know, that was really the first temptation, if thou be the Son of God. See, it it was a mystery. It was a mystery. Even in the seventh chapter of the book of John, about verse 45, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? They were supposed to have gone and arrested Christ and brought him to them. The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? So the Pharisees were questioning the officers, Why didn't you arrest him? Like we told you to arrest him. They said, Never man spake like this man. It was a mystery because every man that had ever come, all the great prophets, all the great sages and seers, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, all these great men, when they died, they stayed dead. But that was the mystery. Even the, even the conception. This is this is so far reaching. Uh, our, our brains cannot understand it. Let me let me plug my meeting in Prosperity, South Carolina. Sure. Prosperity Church of God, three eleven North Main Street, Prosperity, South Carolina two nine one two seven. That's uh, Sunday, April the fifteenth. So I hope to see a few people there. But yeah, uh, it was a, it was a mystery. He he was all God, yet he was all man, and no one had ever seen anything or witnessed anything of that nature. All right, well, thanks, Pastor. And, and uh, Pastor, one more time, Prosperity Church of God, fifteenth, right? Okay, right. Uh, it's at Prosperity South Carolina on Main Street. So hopefully, uh, a few people will show up, and uh, we promise to minister the word like we always do, and I would love to see some people there and. Uh, uh, I'm trying to get my new book. It's a booklet. It's not a full-blown book. It's a booklet and my two-hour DVDs on the significance 
of Israel regarding our Christianity, which I know will make a lot of people mad. But, hey, when you tell the truth, you make people mad, don't you, Doug? Amen to that. <laughs> the, the line forms back there. Uh, all right. All right. God bless you guys, and bless everyone. Have a great week. All right. Good God night. bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Folks, that'll, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, until tomorrow, may God bless and keep each and every one of you. That's right. Until tomorrow, have a great night. We'll be back then.